But Jack saying the phrase, I'm intense, like, it's just the supreme understatement of the world. Yeah, because they don't even have tents on the beach. (sighs) (laughs) Wow. Hello and welcome to Our Lost Podcast, brought to you by the Aficionados Podcast Network. My name is Robin Jeffrey. I'm a 23-year-old actor and filmmaker from Alberta, Canada. I like rooting anti-heroes and feminist agendas, and I have way too much knowledge regarding details that no one else remembers. I run at the 100 script on Twitter. You can follow me personally at Robin E. Jeffrey pretty much everywhere. The last time I was in a stadium was last July for my third Ed Sheeran concert. Third. Third. I'm impressed. He's he's even better. He's even better live. Thank you. Okay, keep going. Sorry. You know what? My thing, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you an anecdote at the end of mine. <clears throat> sure. And my name is Brittany Ray. I'm a 28-year-old writer and TV critic from beautiful post-apocalyptic Vancouver, BC. I like badass moms and long naps. I'm on Twitter at Appertania, where I can be found attempting journalism and talking about my cat. The last time I was in the stadium was to see a baseball game in Washington, DC, with occasional aficionados guest Sam Casey's. But the next time I will be in a stadium is to see Beyonce. Ooh. So that's the next time deal. I'll be in a stadium is to see a baseball game in Anaheim. <laughs> oh my god, we traded! Yeah. Oh my god, who's that laughing? And this episode, we have l- our lovely guest Claire. Yay! Whoop, 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 whoop. It's about time. Hello. Uh, My name is Claire Willett. I'm a 36-year-old writer from Portland, Oregon. I like trash, multi-shipping, and Catholic redemption arcs. (laughs) And I'm currently in Oakland, California, trying to write a book about Nixon. You can follow me at at Claire Willett on Twitter if you want screaming about politics, or at at Kanan Griffin if you want screaming about the 100 fandom. And the last time I was in a stadium was also last July for a Billy Joel concert that was my birthday gift, an early birthday gift for my sister. And the next time I will be in a concert in a the next time I will be in a stadium, I will be at the same Beyonce concert as Britney. Oh, fun. oh my god! I totally forgot we were going yes, to the same my, concert until right now. My my entire college roommate squad and their spouses, we are all going together to see Beyonce in Vancouver. And Robin will not be here. And Robin won't be here. Sorry. I will. I think I'll. I might. I might like be in Vancouver. I won't be at the concert though. I like I, I texted Robin. I'm like, Robin, do you want to go to Beyonce? You know what Robin says to me? Uh, I don't know. Beyonce's not really my thing. Wow. What is it like to be wrong? <laughs> that wrong. I've just never I've just never listened to her. I'm sorry. <sighs> I know. Like I'd love to go to a Beyonce concert, but like I know that they're probably really expensive. And since I don't listen to Beyonce that often, I couldn't justify going to Beyonce concert. I'm sorry. That's fair. Yeah. That it's very wise, actually. Mm-hmm. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, hang on. You want me to say the thing now? No, because we have to talk to Claire a bit. Okay, let's interview Claire. <laughs> oh, yay! So luckily, the character of Claire isn't in this episode that often, so we can- or isn't in this episode, I think, like, hardly at all. So that's good, so we won't get confused. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. If she's ever on when Claire is, we'll just call her C. Willie, because she hates it. No, <laughs> edit that out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hate you. So... Claire, there are a bunch of questions here. Would you like us to ask you the questions or would you like to monologue it? No, ask me questions. Okay, so you've given your name, your age, your occupation, your location. It just like, you know, because we're secretly like the IRS. Yeah, we need to know. Um, what is your Hogwarts house? I am extremely Ravenclaw. Yes, can confirm. Yep. It's true. It's true. <laughs> 
Do you have a secondary? Yeah, a Slytherin. I am. Um, I am a. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm a Ravenclaw slash Slytherin from a family of like pure Hufflepuffs. So we switch. I am like the only one of my kind. I would say my mom was probably a Slytherin. I suspect I got it from her. Yeah, I was gonna mm. say like Teresa's definitely Slytherin. Yeah, yeah. And okay, next question. What does lost mean to you? Huh, that's a good question. I so so it's a. I never watched Lost when it was actually on network television. I um, I was a big J.J. Abrams fan. I was huge into Alias. But Lost was one of those shows that I sort of, at the time, it, like it was kind of on the periphery and it really felt like, you know, this is like a huge, enormous commitment, like an intimidating, like you have to mm-hmm. like start at the beginning, watch it all the way through, paying super close attention. And I was always kind of like, this feels like a really significant undertaking. And I also was like... I think I never quite got past the the concept of it as like, you know, like, like survivor essentially. And I was kind of like, I'm less interested yeah. in that part of it. Um, so I just kind of never got into it until I got into the hundred fandom where for many, many reasons, there's huge amounts of crossover, obviously with the lost fandom and partly, you know, like Henry and Cusick, who we get to meet in this episode, also a lot of the writers. So I, I just kind of had lots of people, including Robin, you know, kind of like <laughs> forever, talking it up to me, you know, and not just in terms of like, this is a good television show that we like, but also like specific reasons why I would like it. And when I finally finished binging the whole thing, which I think happened like right around the beginning of the new year, because I had like just finished a few weeks before we all met up at Unity Days. What I really loved about it and, and what I think will probably, you know, kind of continually anchor it as a show that I think is really special to me is I'm very, I'm very into science fiction that that kind of acknowledges and takes seriously the concept of religion and faith. And um, which is kind of how I got like how Battlestar Galactica was sold to me. People were like, this is science fiction for people who are interested in like overlap of sci-fi and religion. And I was like, yes, great, perfect. And so, and a lot of what I like about Lost is that it really, and this is a great episode to kind of talk about that. It sort of echoes a lot of those themes that I find like really personally important to me. Um, So I think there's, there's so much going on. There's so much to it. I think it's, but I think it's a really beautiful story about like faith and human connection and the importance of relationships and the importance of believing in things that are bigger than yourself. So I think it's really special for that reason. One of my favorite memories from the first Unity Days is like sitting with you like near the near the end of the con and just like having a 20 minute long conversation about me just like gushing about the show to you <laughs> being like, please join me. <laughs> It is it is zero percent surprising to me that one of your favorite con memories is you telling me to watch this show. <laughs> that, <laughs> every accurate. part of that checks out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes. Well, and also, and like I think between you and Joe Garfine, like Unity Days, mm-hmm. like the first mm-hmm. Unity Days was everyone, like everyone who I love, whose opinion I value, being like Claire, go watch Lost. And then the second Unity Days, I was like, I just watched Lost, and everyone was like, let's talk about it. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, I feel like we all gently bullied you into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I, I didn't, yeah. I will say I, I don't, I didn't need much convincing that it was something that I would enjoy once I started. I needed, I needed a little bit of a push to get over the hump of like, this genuinely is a substantial television commitment. Like you really mm-hmm. like, yeah. yeah, it it is not a show you can have on in the background while you're doing your laundry, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so, so part of it was just sort of like, you know, I, I felt like I had to tackle it as like, you know, an intellectual undertaking. Like, do you, like Robin, do you remember when I don't like I can say this without any spoilers, but like 
like two words. I think in the last season where I had like that whole chart of cross connections, I was like, I am like, like I'm making like visual collateral material to like track all the clues in this mystery. Like you have to, I feel like you have, you kind of have to watch it like that. Um, yes. And I loved that so much. I love when people finally pass the threshold where they're suddenly just like, okay, here I am. Like yes. we are enjoying watching on Twitter, our friend Kim. Oh yeah. Watch Lost yes. for the first time. Yeah. And like, I knew that she was like officially done, mm-hmm. <laughs> like officially like I'm in this. She's, in season, well, right now she's in season three, but she was in season two, almost at the end, the an episode called Question Mark. And she loved it so much that she said before she could move on, she had to watch it again. And then she recorded a 15 minute long periscope about her <laughs> thoughts about it. And I was like, welcome. I Here you are. I will say also, I think one thing that I, that I think is really, that it's been a really positive experience for me in watching this show, the way that I watched it, i.e., binging the entire thing 10 years later after having become friends with a whole bunch of like intense lost super fans is, is that I knew I had a very clear picture of the entirety of what I was getting into when I started. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't taken by surprise in a bad way by twists that like, you know, if you were a network TV viewer in the like early two thousands and you thought that this was going to be like survivor except fiction, you know, then at the part where the story really shifts and you get the focus on the mythology and things are getting really crazy, you know, I, I could see people being like, wait, what the f- is happening? What what show am I watching? Oh, sorry, yeah. I forgot I'm on aficionados and you guys bleep out swearing. <laughs> I'm going to try to make it easier on you. So I think when I started watching the show, you know, I, I sort of picked up enough just sort of like through osmosis, through like being a person who watches a lot of television and and knows a lot of people who watch a lot of television, like the things you kind of just like absorb through pop culture, you know, I was like, okay, smoke monster and the others, like basic sort of things like that. I kind of knew like, a li- like I knew a little enough to know sort of like what, what shape the story was going to take in terms of that, that it goes into this kind of like supernatural mythology, you know, kind of place. So I was, I was looking forward to that and ready for it. And, and I think that was really helpful. And I also, felt like I had enough people tell me like, no, I really liked the finale that I didn't have that sort of sense of like Mm. the finale as something that people were, you know, like I know it's very polarizing. I loved it, but I was also came in like ready to love it and ready to love like where the show was going because really smart people whose opinions I trust were like, don't believe what like, (laughs) you know, people magazine or whatever, like that kind of perspective, you know? So, so I, I actually think I suspect that, I enjoyed it more because I watched the whole thing all together enough after the mm-hmm. fact that I kind of um, could take the whole thing as a piece, as opposed to like, you know, watching it from week to week, you know, in the middle of like, you know, fandom and ship wars and the things you kind of like hear about having happened after the fact. Like I got to just like purely enjoy it, <laughs> which is mm-hmm. great. It was basically like unfiltered, like, no distractions kind of watching, which is the best kind. Yeah, like you absolutely. got to just have your own opinion on the show yeah. and not have any outside influences, which honestly <laughs> is like, especially, yeah, the only outside influence was like people on Twitter going, Claire! Well, and, and I was actually, I was, I was really amazed at how, like, I, I think I, I started it thinking like, I already know a lot about this show. Like I, you know, like I read TV guide. Like I, it, I've been around, like I know. I read TV guide. I mean like, like not like, but you know, like, like you just like absorb yep. things from like, 
you know, happening upon the like, like you go looking for a synopsis for another TV show and you're like, oh, lost. Here's what's happening, whatever. So like, I thought like, mm-hmm. I kind of have a sense of what's going on. And I was, I was genuinely delighted by like taking the, the thing kind of as a whole, how, how little I actually knew about what was going to happen and how mm-hmm. many of like, I feel like by the time I got to the end of about season one, all of the things that I thought that I knew about the show had been like addressed and dealt with. And then from that point, like, so really from this point on, like from this episode was kind of where for me, it was like, you know, like other than knowing like, okay, we're going to meet a character who becomes an important character. Mm -hmm. I think from the, from like the season two premiere on really, it was sort of like, I don't really have any idea what's going to happen or how Mm -hmm. these pieces fit together or who these people are. And, and that's really cool. I think, especially for a show that, you know, that has been around for this long, been off the air for this long and has been so talked about. I was really, I was very pleased that, that somehow I guess through, through the magic, (laughs) through the magic of television that I, that I managed to be able to sort of go into it with enough, like enough information to know that I would like what was coming and, and not enough to spoil any of the stuff that you wouldn't want spoiled pretty much. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is great. So once you got to the end of season one, and now you've seen, you know, back then you've seen 201. Mm-hmm. Who would you say your favorite characters were at that time? Oh, gosh. Um, I, so, uh, it, it's, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard to parse only because, like, when you binge it, things feel close yeah. together, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so there's characters who, who I, like, like, like I would say, like, Sun and Jin, I grew to love deeply 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 i don't know if at this point in the story they were like on my faves list yet i will say right right out of the gate probably my most favorite character was saeed mm-hmm. and uh, Preach. Preach. I, I think i think at this point i don't think i liked sawyer at all yet yeah. <laughs> um and uh yeah so i think oh and kate i loved kate i always loved kate but i i think probably for for this stage in the season or in the in the run of the show, I would say probably my sort of standout favorite, I would say would definitely be Saeed. And and that remained true from top to bottom. From the beginning of the show to the end yeah. of the show, he he never left my top five faves. It was mm-hmm. just like like I, I grew I grew to love more people like as the as the world kind of expands. Yeah. But man, Saeed is is I think just an extraordinary character. And like as you got to the end of the show, like what what did your list look like then for like your top five? Oh, let's see. Yeah, just name drop. Like no spoilers, just name drop. Name drop some of your faves. Yeah, yeah. Um, just names. Uh, Said, Sun, Desmond, Juliet. God, there's so many. Ju- oh yeah, yes, Juliet. Um, actually, uh, I would say yeah, Said, Said, Juliet, Sun. Uh, Desmond, Saeed, okay, Saeed, Juliet, Sun, Desmond, <laughs> one more. I'm, I'm like, just like, I just, oh God, I love everybody. Ben! Who? What? She wants ben. to say Ben. I think you should say Hurley. Uh, oh, oh, oh Hurley. Oh, yes. Oh my God, yes, Hurley. Yeah, Damn it! Yeah. No, I mean, I love, <laughs> I, I love Ben. I love Ben, but I have a very, I have a very deep emotional connection to Hurley. Like I, like Hurley, I get it. Hurley makes me feel the most stuff. I think just across yep. the board um, and had some standout moments in this episode, which we'll get to, but yeah. Okay. So, so I would say top five in order, I would say Saeed, Juliet, Hurley, son, Desmond. 
That's a good top five. Yeah. And it's also really nice to like meet someone who's like fave is Saeed because when anyone asks, you don't usually hear Saeed. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. No, I loved him. I, yeah. I, I find, you know, and we were actually we were talking about this a little bit on, um, on Twitter last night with, with Kim um, and our other friend, Sarah, who I know has been on this podcast before. And, you know, I think the thing, the thing that is challenging about, about Saeed and w- along with a lot of the characters that are people of color is, you know, the show, the show is, I think genuinely really in terms of how it's aged kind of a mixed bag on, on race and ethnicity and, and kind of on diversity yeah. stuff. So there's, there's things that they're doing that nobody else at that time was doing on network television, even, even yeah. just as simple as like having a core ensemble of recurring main characters that is this diverse. And then there are times where they kind of like swing and miss a little bit with verging into stereotype. But I think the thing that's interesting about Saeed is I think, you know, I think it became very trendy much, much later on television to like introduce a character and be like, this character is a terrorist or this character was a terrorist and we're going to humanize him for you. Isn't that revelatory? Like Homeland and shows like that. And I think it's, Mm. and I'm always interested in like characters that were doing that long before that became kind of a common trope on television and doing with a lot less fanfare. And I would say Saeed on Lost and Major Kira on Deep Space Nine are two that were sort of addressing the moral and ethical complexities and the humanization of characters that in our sort of like the mindset that you might have from just kind of like stereotypes you pick up from like reading the newspaper and whatever, trying to kind of like flesh that a little bit more. And I do think where they go wrong with Saeed, I think it's less about Saeed and more about the writers as like, white Americans post 9-11 and all of this sort of like, you know, as try as you might, that there is some kind of like racist baggage towards Middle Eastern people that maybe is harder to shake or harder to spot in yourself. But I think that from the, I think that they do a really good job with Saeed of, of kind of opening him up and, and showing us different facets of him right off the bat that, that force you to think of him differently than you might expect, you know? And I like the fact that he's so gentle. I think there's, I know there's a lot of controversy around his relationship with Shannon, um, but I think it brings out new sides of him that are really interesting, kind of whatever people's opinions on Shannon are. And the way he sort of kind of immediately assumes the position of like in that kind of co-leader triad with Jack and Kate. Um, so I just, I really, I mean, I, I, I loved him more and more with each passing season, but from the beginning I was like, this is a, this is somebody where like every time I'm on, I'm watching him on screen, I'm engaged in what's happening. And that's not always reliably true with every single character in the first couple of seasons. You know, like there's times where it's yeah. like, it's hard for me to, you know, the ensemble is just so big. It's hard to be sort of equally engaged in everybody, but I'm always interested in Saeed's stories. And like, yeah, basically, I think that there was a lack of... Um, pretentiousness and need for credit when it came to them writing Saeed. Like the writers weren't saying, hey, look how revolutionary they are. They're just like, mm-hmm. okay, here's a character. Like, let's go. Yeah, and, and that in and of itself, I think is revolutionary. I I think, yeah. um, and I, I also, so stop me if this is spoiler, but I don't think it is. I think it's in the season one finale, right? Where we see the little moment of Shannon with the suitcase. Has that happened already? Yes, that's happened, yeah. Like Shannon, Shannon and, okay, yeah. So, so that, so one of the things that I really like about this show, just to sort of like digress a little bit and talk about the season one finale, um, is I I think they actually do kind of a beautiful job of 
in in that in the airport sequences in the season one finale, and Said I think is one great example of illustrating microaggressions. You know, like the the interchange between Hurley and the airport clerk. The interchange, uh, sort of the close up on Locke's face as he has to be carried onto the plane. Like all of this sort of you know different different very little subtle instances of like people who live daily with with experiences of discrimination, um, you know, Sun and Jin mm-hmm. with a couple next to them in the little like food court area. And, and Shannon, like Shannon, the white girl pointing at Saeed and being like, Oh, scary Muslim man, you know, like, like it, I mean, it, it, Shannon does not come off well in that interaction. Um, no, certainly but, not. But it is a, it's a perfect kind of, I think, unpacking of, because we, we, we get that experience from Saeed's perspective. And that I think mm-hmm. is revelatory for television. It's a small moment. It's not like the whole plot like hinges on it or anything. But I feel like showing a like Middle Eastern man as convenient scapegoat because everyone will assume he is dangerous. I think showing that sort of slice of the story from the point of view of that Middle Eastern man who we who we know is completely innocent and that it's that it's the white girl who's sort of conveniently using that for her. Like I that like little things like that, I think I just I think they I want to make sure that they get credit for the fact that they were doing those things decades before anyone else was doing them. You know, mm-hmm. like that was a, that was yeah. a big deal for that time for 2005. You know, and like that's the thing I love the most about that is it's not it's also not exploitive. Yes, like they're not saying, "Oh my God, look at this, look at this." It's just like these tiny little like microaggressions. You're right, mm-hmm. where they they show you the torture of living day-to-day life surrounded by like bigoted people. Yeah. Like, like Hurley, Hurley and the airport clerk lady, I think is a perfect example where like, and this is, I think partly, partly why Hurley really is in my, is in my top five characters. It's like, think of like, like any other like fat person character on television. And I say this, a person who has like lived my entire life as a fat person myself, where, where that kind of, you know, like, like being told, like you have to buy an extra seat. Like where an interaction like that is either not played for laughs at the expense of that person mm-hmm. or a like really overly sappy kind of sympathy tear jerker that makes that person seem pathetic. It's just kind of like, yeah, this is what it's like living in this body every single day. This is yet another of an ongoing series of like stupid things I have to deal with because this is the way the world is. And I, yeah. and I, it was so refreshing to see it presented that frankly, like, yeah, this stuff happens and it's awful, but you're also, and then Locke too, like Locke's face of the kind of like the indignity of having to like be carried onto this plane, knowing that like once he's in his seat, he can't move around. He's an adult man, but he is kind of being infantilized by these airport staff people. Yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, and he's just kind of like, yeah, like, again, like, this is what it's like living in this body, in this world. You know, for Saeed, it's like, this is what it's like living with brown skin in this, like, in America, in this. So this is just, like, another day ending in day, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I love, I also love that it's not, like, yeah, they don't do, like, the sad music and they don't, like, right make it a joke. But it's, like, they kind of all just, like, roll their eyes and go, well, what the frick else is new? And they just keep going. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's what's amazing about about the way some of these characters are are you know are presented is that it's like like it is 
it is a facet of their lives and it isn't their identity. You know, like Hurley doesn't yes. exist to be like the token fat person character. Mm-hmm. And Saeed doesn't exist to be the token Middle Eastern man. It's like that is and 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 I think what the island gives them increasingly like more and more over the course of each season is a place where that ceases to be any kind of a factor in their identity. And that's what I think is makes the Island stuff so special. You know, I think one of the, one of the cool things about the structure of lost as a whole is like, you know, like it starts off with like these people are shipwrecked on a desert Island and, you know, and, and you expect that the arc of the story is going to take is the process of, everyone coming back home again and resuming their normal human lives. And mm-hmm. what I think is really kind of fascinating just as a viewer is how quickly over the course of the show, you realize, or it was, it was for me that you, that you don't want them to go home, you know, like that, <laughs> yeah, yep. that the life that they've built here on this like Island with you, know, like no electricity and, you know, potential mysterious weird jungle dangers that still, you know, and, and, and for some, it was, it's much more obvious for some characters like Locke, you know, where there's like a physical transformation, but also, you know, people like Sawyer for whom there's this kind of emotional transformation mm-hmm. of, from being in community with these people. Like it, it's really remarkable how, how little time it takes before you're a couple of seasons in and you're like, yeah, no, all of you are better off here. Yeah. Living in these tents on the beach. <laughs> Please just stay here. This island is too interesting to leave. Right. And and you have like, like you have this community of people for whom your identity is not, like everyone got to leave their past baggage behind, you know? So that I think is really interesting. And, and I think this episode gives us a couple of really really neatly handled examples of that, of feeling like, you know, like, like Island Hurley is a much happier person than past Hurley, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, cause, cause he's free of all that sort of societal, like stupid judgment crap. So yeah, no, I think it's, I think it's amazing how well they do that where you're like, like at a certain point you catch yourself, like you stop wanting rescue to come for them and want them to just figure out how to like build nice houses and all stay here and be friends forever. Yeah. <laughs> you like, you, you low-key kind of wanted to just become Gilligan's Island. No, a hundred percent. I do. Yeah. High key. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Okay. <clears throat> we are still in the middle of guest interviews. So <laughs> yeah. Welcome to Metastation. Oh wait. Yeah. I was just going to say, Claire, do you want to plug Metastation? Uh, yes. Um, I. Uh, so it, if you're listening to this podcast and you're like, this rambly lady's voice sounds familiar. Um, I, I am 50% of the Metastation podcast, which I co-host with my best friend, Erin, uh, at Rebloggenhood on Twitter. Who has been on the pod already. Yes. She mm-hmm. beat me by, by many months. I'm not jealous or resentful in any way. Um, <laughs> oh. But, uh, and it was it was so delightful. I sometimes, when I'm like having a stressful day, I go back and I re-listen to that podcast because it's just like everybody that I love all in one room just being adorable. And I'm like, oh, it's so cute. Oh my God. I love that podcast. I think it was so good. That was a really, really yeah. good one. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It was a good episode too. And you guys just all had great things to say about it. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's always like, I mean, I listen to every episode of, of the both of you guys is lost and the hundred podcast because I just 
love you and the things that you say, but it's extra fun for me when the guest on the lost podcast is someone else that I'm friends with where I'm just like, Oh, that's Sarah. Oh, there's Sam. Oh, there's yeah. Aaron. And I'm just like, it's yeah. love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. That's so cute. <laughs> I just love my friends. It always like low key surprises me when people are like, yeah, we like your podcast. I'm like, really? <laughs> it's delightful. Yeah. I, I, I mean, like, I like, obviously like I'm friends with you, so I'm biased, but I also just, I think, mm, I think fair. you guys have a really, I think it's just also just objectively, it's a very good podcast and you guys are great at talking about television. Thank um, you. Thanks. I spend a lot Thank of time you. thinking about it. <laughs> so I hope so. Yeah. No, not <laughs> relatable. <laughs> so speaking, speaking of <clears throat> doing a podcast, yeah, I'm just going to like really busy choke to death. Hang on. <clears throat> Today, we have words to say about episode 201 of Lost, Man of Science, Man of Faith. We are half an hour in. <laughs> season two! Season two! Season two! Season two! Season two! Season two! I waited all season for this season. <laughs> so, this episode is called Man of Science, Man of Faith, which is just, like, one of the big themes. Like, of all the things I could say about the title, it's mostly just, like, the show is about science and faith, like, as one of its two main concepts. So yeah, that, that's mo- that's mostly what it is. And like Jack and Locke said last episode, you're a man of science, I'm a man of faith. So that's what that is. Uh, the broadcast date was September 21st, 2005. Hey, that's close to my birthday. It was written by my boy, Damon Lindelof. And it was directed by my boy, Jack Bender. I love them both so much. My favorite game is finding out how old Robin was when these episodes air, because then it makes me feel old. I was 10 years old when this episode aired. See, that makes me feel old. <laughs> Wait, it was 2005. I was mm-hmm. out of college. I was 24. She, I was in high school. I was a working adult and you were both children. <laughs> and that's still true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a great self-burn. <laughs> Thank you. So now we're going to do our episode Lee oh recap. And basically what's going to happen is Britt is going to recap the episode in under a minute. And if she goes over a minute, I will speed her up. So she sounds like a chipmunk. And even if she doesn't go over a minute, I probably will do it anyway because I think it's funny. That's not nice. Sorry. The rule is that you do it in a minute, like lost in eight minutes and 15 seconds, which Claire should watch. And if you don't do it, then you get sped up. You can't just change the rules like that. But then people get disappointed. Because it's so much fun. And by, and by people, do you mean you? Yes, and I'm sure other people too. Every time <laughs> I like don't have to speed it up, I'm like, but the people want the speed up. So I do it anyway. Well, you're going to need to speed it up because I used at least one, two, three, four adjectives to describe Desmond in the first sentence alone. Okay, perfect. A mysterious, charming, fit, handsome stranger goes through his daily routine. He exercises and drinks weird smoothies, shoots himself up with a weird drug, does dishes, and oh yeah, he lives in the mysterious hatch Locke is obsessed with. While the rest of the gang argue about whether to go down the hatch or not, Shannon and Saeed look for Vincent and run into Walt, who spits up some water and isn't really there. Cool. Hurley tells Jack he's a cursed millionaire who hates numbers. (laughs) Jack says live together, die alone. Take a shot. Kate decides to go down the hatch and disappears into a burst of light. Jack decides to go after her and comes across a mural with Hurley's numbers painted on it. Ominous. He runs into Locke being held at gunpoint by a nice Scottish man named Desmond. In the past, Jack meets his future wife after she's been in a car accident. He tells her that the odds of her ever walking again are slim, which prompts a bedside manner lecture from his crappy dad. Sarah's gross fiancé isn't up to caring for her while she's in a wheelchair. Jack performs her surgery and then goes on a really ridiculous run up a bunch of stairs. He trips and falls into a plot line with Desmond, who tells him to believe in miracles. Does Desmond know that he himself is the miracle? <laughs> Anyway, turns out Sarah's surgery was successful and she could totally move her legs. Dope. 
I did it. And that was much longer than I just wanted to say, like, out of context, the phrase, Hurley tells Jack he's a cursed millionaire who hates numbers. is the funniest thing I've ever heard in my life. Thank you. I was really proud of that one. That was so funny. Thank you. Here we go. So we're going to talk about the smaller storyline first so we can get that over with so we can talk about Desmond. Is the smaller storyline the adventure of dog walking um i guess (laughs) oh good i have i have words to say about that okay great you have words to say about something listen (laughs) whoa i don't have a (laughs) follow-up okay great (laughs) good roast good roast so okay so they're all in the caves and stuff i was watching the commentary for this episode because i like to watch the commentary if there's one available before i do my notes so i can like put them into my notes and they were saying that this is one of the last times that we see the caves because they decided that the hatch was a way more interesting um location and they were like yeah the caves are kind of boring comparatively so bye caves (laughs) i don't know if i agree with that Ooh, tell me why because i think the caves are so visually interesting to look at you know like i love looking at the caves i love the running water and the moss and all of that and I mean, the hatch has Desmond in it. So like, I have to like be on <laughs> yeah. their team. But I said what I said. Right, that's fair. <laughs> I do think it's interesting, though, in just talking about the the sort of the sets in this episode, what I like about the hatch is that our first introduction to it is in all those really kind of tight shots from Desmond's perspective. Mm-hmm. And then it's and then the end of Desmond's chest. Right. <laughs> and and just like little, you know, like when you when you live in a space and it's your space, like just kind of like that little sort of cut certainly like but bed, blender, washing machine, things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, like it, it it makes sense why it's edited like that. So it's cool at the end when Jack enters the space and the camera kind of pulls back and you get to see like all the sort of big craziness. I actually I I really love I think that's probably my favorite world of all of the different sets of loss actually is I'm mm-hmm. I'm very I'm very interested in in the bunker. But I can see from the like the thing with the caves is like when the whole crowd of people is in there, it's not visually interesting so much. Like when you have like smaller groups of characters and you can see kind of the backdrop and the landscape of it. I, I agree. I think the caves are really cool and spooky, but like there wasn't much to them in this episode because it was just sort of like where everybody was gathered, you know, mm-hmm. there's not much to look at. That's a good point. Plus there's no mid-century modern realness in the caves. And <laughs> exactly. The hatch has that. There's no record collection. What's the point ah sorry it's all good and uh, it's okay every time she swears she gets to use the lost yeah, beep true. so it makes her happy uh, okay all right and i have to say and this might be starting a whole other tangent again but like as far as season premieres go i feel i feel that this episode is very strong oh it is oh my god yeah like this is a fantastic season premiere. yeah people were that were upset about the season one like finale about how they didn't get any like real closure with what was actually in the hatch. Now it's like, they still don't really, (laughs) cause in the, um, (laughs) in the commentary, they were talking about how they take, they decide to take a three episode arc to, to finally bring them down from the finale. But like, if I had to wait months and months in between, I I would be happy with this season premiere for sure. I think so. Yeah. I, and I totally, I don't blame them for drawing out that review. I mean, I, I think it's a, it's 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 hard this is this is the one area where i feel like i have to i have to pretend like i watched this episode without knowing mm-hmm. what was in the hatch because i'd seen that intro clip of desmond in the hatch before i'd ever even seen the show like sam and Brittany had showed it to me right 
And y'all know why. Yeah, yeah, because I yeah, it's I'm I'm a known huge fan of Henry Ian Cusick. This is not news. So so that clip I had seen, I didn't have any context for it. I didn't know how it tied into the story. It was just kind of like, here's a clip on YouTube that's you know Ian's first scene on the show. But but trying to watch it, and when I rewatched it again today before we recorded, like I tried to think of if I hadn't seen that, if that was my first introduction to this character. And like the the reveal, the way you get the reveal that that is the hatch, I think is actually beautifully done. So you know, like good. it would mm-hmm. it would it would feel like it feels like you're in you just I would think you'd assume that you're in a flashback of some new character about yeah. to be introduced. Exactly. Yes, because it's all seventies back there in his hair. Even yeah, yeah. yeah. Everything looks like a period piece. Um, it has that, and and then the sort of record scratch flip with the syringe, it, where it sort of starts to get really sinister. Then you're kind of building towards like, oh wait, there's more going on here. But I, I feel like I would not know. It would never occur to me that this is the hatch until you get that pan upwards to see Jack and Locke's faces, and you realize, oh, it's the hatch. And I think that's incredible. Like I think the the way it's structured, you come in and be like, wait, we left him at the hatch. Who is this new guy? Why is he listening to this <laughs> retro music? I mean, like, I think it's, I think it's so cool that they, and then it takes him a couple episodes before you get like, what happened to Kate? Like all where all the pieces mm-hmm. are together. I just think it's a really, it's such a strong start to a really terrific season. I think. I agree. So in the caves, Charlie is telling everybody after the finale, after they got Aaron back from Rousseau, Rousseau lied. There aren't even any others even. It's just like her being a basket case and I'm a hero because I figured it out and I, you know, I, I figured it out. I'm, I'm really smart. Okay, no one is out there. No one is coming. But the, but the French woman said. Well, the French woman is missing a bloody wing nut, you know, I mean, it, it was all bollocks. It's a ghost story. She set the fire herself. This is like, um, you know, debatable. all of the mm-hmm. parallels that we like to make between Charlie and Jasper, Jasper from the hundred. It's like, this is just another one. Charlie is that type of character, and so is Jasper, to be like, I did one thing, and now everybody's asking me about the story, so let me just, like, pump it up a little bit so everyone thinks I'm really cool. (laughs) Wow, this literally happened in season one of The Hundred. (laughs) That's me telling any story that I want to try and make really, like, interesting. (laughs) But, like, we also know Russo didn't lie. There are absolutely the others, and they came. They just didn't know. Yeah. I mean, did Charlie miss the whole thing with Ethan? Yeah. <laughs> he just forgot about Ethan. He's like, that was one time. <laughs> he was one dude. That's it. Doesn't matter. Spiders, Ethan was an outlier and should yeah. not have been <laughs> I And I, I do, you know, it's interesting. I think at this point in the story, in terms of like who the others are and the extremely limited amount that they that these characters know about them, it is interesting to sort of think about you know, who genuinely believes they don't exist and this woman is just rambling and crazy mm-hmm. and who maybe finds it comforting to think they couldn't possibly exist because the idea of this sort of like faceless mystery enemy out there is too scary. And so I wonder a little bit like, is Charlie genuinely like completely confident that this is not a real thing? Or is he like, you know, it's easier and more convenient for him to believe that Rousseau is banana pants than it is to consider how terrifying it would be if she was right. Well, now I definitely think it's that he'd rather pr- pretend that she was crazy. Yeah, I'm, I'm now trying to put myself in the position of the other people in the caves. And I'm trying to decide, like, I think that the concept of the others would be really polarizing to me because on the one hand, 
you know, it's terrifying because they're obviously trying to steal us away, attack us. They've murdered mm-hmm. people. But also on the other side mm-hmm. of the coin, I'm thinking like, okay, but isn't it good to know that there are other people who can live here who like know what they're doing? Like it's like this island isn't just filled with people bumbling around being like, please help us. Yeah. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I don't know. No, it makes perfect sense. You, you think of them less as antagonists and more as potential mm-hmm. allies. Right. That's very well put. And so, I mean, the... I mean, like, they're totally wrong, but, you know. Yeah, exactly. They don't want to hang out with you. But they don't know that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the other thing that happens in this scene is just that Shannon seems to have lost Vincent. Yikes. How do you lose a whole dog? <laughs> they Dogs run away. Yeah. I actually, I have... My, go ahead. Go, no, you That's go ahead. I, yours is going to be much funnier. <laughs> I can oh, no I, no. I was just going to say I, I have a lot of thoughts about, about this little moment. Mm-hmm. Um... Uh, but I don't want to cut you off if you were going to say something related to what was just said. Um, the only thing I was going to say was that I could never lose my dog because she refuses to leave the house. <laughs> so I can that, was it. that was all that's I had a, to contribute. That's a helpful, that's a useful trait in a dog. Oh, it's true. They stay in one place. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> uh, although you've never tested this theory by taking your dog to a desert island that's full of new things to smell. So, Yo, if Sophie was in a crashed plane... And she had the option of going into the plane or going onto the island. She would stay in the plane. <laughs> She'd be like, where is my home now? Yep. Wow, that's relatable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I, what I was going to say, I, so I know Shannon is one of the characters that I kind of came into this show from the beginning knowing that like a lot of people didn't like her. Um, and, uh, and like a lot of people like weren't into a relationship with Saeed, weren't into her dynamic with Boone, things like that. And and that she was kind of like more on the scale of like unpopular characters. And mm-hmm. I will say, I, I think I'm routinely less interested in Shannon's storylines that have to do with her in a romantic relationship. But I, I, I was weirdly extremely emotional and very, very, like had lots of thoughts and feelings about the connection between Shannon and Walt and particularly mm-hmm. sort of triangulated around Vincent. And I think that moment where Shannon, like where Saeed is trying to figure out like, like, it's a dog. Dogs, what they do is like, they go off and they, you know, sniff at things and then they come back because like they're smart and they follow their own trail and they like, this is like, he's done this before. Like, why are you so freaked out? Like, he, like, Saeed, you know, it's very like sane and logical. It's like, let me explain to you how dogs work, yeah. Shannon, you know? Um, and and Shannon is is totally not able to see it from the point of view of like, realistically, like Shannon, this is probably going to be fine because her investment in it is it's like, this is like, she's like, this is the first time that anyone has like asked, has like entrusted something to Shannon. You know, like I, yeah. and I think, you know, the way we're sort of guided over the course of the first season to see Walt as a character who kind of has some like, I, I don't know, like, like not like, not quite like supernatural, but has like, has like an ability to kind of identify things in other people, see things in the people and kind of respond to them in a way that is well beyond like, you know, his, his age and, you know, status as a child. Um, and I, yeah. I feel like, I think Walt somehow sees in Shannon this kind of sense of her own uselessness and purposelessness and isolation and in kind of entrusting Vincent to her, it's both like recognizing that Vincent needs someone to take care of him, but also I think even more so recognizing that Shannon would benefit from being given something to do. um, And that like Vincent could be like having, having Vincent as like her, 
you know, her responsibility could be something that makes her feel useful, like makes her feel like she's contributing and, um, and that having a dog would be good for her, you know? So I just, I just love, I, I, Walt's relationship with her and, and the way Walt sees what Shannon needs in a way that nobody else, even Saeed, who's like her closest, you know, relationship at this point, even Saeed doesn't see quite what Walt sees in Shannon. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, re- I think it's really beautiful. And I think, you know, it's just a small little moment and it, you know, obviously leads into this kind of another layer of the revelation of the kind of like mythology of the Island when she gets like the vision of Walt, but just the fact of like her, how, how seriously she takes her responsibility of making sure nothing happens to this dog while Walt and Michael are gone. I just think it's really, there's something really emotional about that. That made me, that really kind of turned around my perspective on Shannon where I was like, this is just like a person who needs to be, taken seriously and given something to do and given like a connection with someone or something that isn't just her being like, you know, a hot blonde girl that everyone wants to sleep with, which is probably how she's used to being perceived, especially by guys, you know, and, and she's something totally different to Walt, which I think is wonderful. That's like why I, when people say they hate Shannon, I'm like, I, maybe it's because I relate to her a lot, but I can never actually understand it because this is clearly someone who has been put in boxes her entire life and told that she's supposed to be a certain way her entire life. She's supposed to be the dumb Mm -hmm. blonde. She's supposed to be, you know, the slutty one or the stepsister or anything like that. And so no one's ever trusted her. So she's always just kind of gone, all right, well, if you want me to be that way, then I guess I will. Right. And then she gets the island and Saeed values her as a person and Walt values her as a person Mm -hmm. and being without Boone makes her a better person. Yes. So like this moment is so huge because it's her going, someone finally has given me a responsibility and someone thinks I'm not a messed up Mm -hmm. person and I messed it up. I just, I get that. Oh yeah. It's so, it's so relatable. It's so human. And I, I think you're totally right. It's like, there's something about like, you know, Walt, like Walt and Vincent give, it gives Shannon like, something to do and a, and a vision of a person that she could be that is a, that is completely unsexualized, which, which you get the sense is potentially mm-hmm. new for her. Um, yep. And, and where the assumption is that she can do it, you know, like Walt, Walt mm-hmm. entrusting her with Vincent presupposes that Walt thinks that this is something that she can handle, you know? And, and I just, I think it's probably been a really long time if ever since anyone like, had faith in Shannon's capacity to do something without being like, Oh, you should just screw up. I'll just do it for you. Or like, Oh, you should just screw up. You're going to get this wrong. You know, Walt is like, this is like, like I trust you, you know? And that's just like so huge to me, I think. And this reminds me of like going back to season one, like one of the first things that Shannon was given to do was, you know, please translate what she's saying on the radio. And, you know, yeah. she does it and they say, yeah. okay, good job. And then yep. Saeed comes back with Russo's maps and he says, will you please help me translate this? And so she does and she does a great job translating it. And he's like, this makes no sense. And she's like, what am I supposed to tell you? This is what it says. And he's like, maybe this was a bad idea. And she's like, yeah, you're right. I'm useless. Bye. Right. Yeah. Cause that's, that's the only thing anyone's ever told her. Every victory for her comes with mm-hmm. strings attached. So, She's out in the jungle yelling and they're saying, listen, there's nobody out there. Like she's okay. So Saeed is like, Shannon, be careful. And she's like, you told me that no one's out there. He said, Charlie's telling you no one's out there. I'm saying we didn't see anybody (laughs) out there. (laughs) 
I like the implication is Charlie's an idiot. Yeah. Don't listen to Charlie. Right. And so like you said, he's saying, listen, dog, this is how dogs work. Like they're smart. They'll come back. It's, it's not a huge deal. And she's saying, I had one job and this was my one job and I've messed it up. And he's like, you're exhausted. Take a heckin' nap. Vincent! This is not a good idea. I saw him five minutes ago. Besides, you're the one who said there wasn't anyone out here. I said we didn't see anyone. The dog will come back on his own. He always does. Watching that dog was the one thing anybody ever asked me to do. Something happens to him. When was the last time you slept or had something to eat? You're exhausted. I can't tell that kid I lost his dog because I was exhausted. This is... <laughs> That's like, what he said. Okay, this is one of my favorite moments in the commentary of this episode because then we see Vincent, who's played by a lovely golden retriever named Madison. And um, Madison's favorite thing is tennis balls. So if Madison is looking in a specific direction, it's because she, there is a tennis ball in that direction. Yeah. And so, so on the commentary, they're saying Madison doing a great job, especially if there's tennis balls. And then Damon Lindelof, who is one of my favorite human beings, light of my life, is the best person. He's like, you know, it's funny because Naveen also works that way. And so, <laughs> and so like, there's this moment right after he says that where like Vincent runs off and so does Naveen. And in my head, every time I see it, I just think someone threw a tennis ball <laughs> and both Madison and Naveen are running after it. <laughs> and I can't take that moment seriously. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, the, uh, Shannon's running through the jungle. She trips and she finds Water Walt, which is what I call him, who, I mean, is a vision. He, yeah, he's a vision and he's covered in water and he speaks backwards. He's whispering and he speaks backwards. And what he says backwards is, uh, don't push the button. The button is bad. What are you doing here? Shannon! Oh. Yeah. What? Mm -hmm. That's what he says? Oh my says? gosh. Yeah. You just blew my mind. I had no idea. That's amazing. Yeah, I had no clue that he was speaking backwards. I thought it was just nonsense. Yeah, and I have thoughts about this in the spoiler section, actually, and I just thought of them, so now I have to write it yeah. down to make sure. That okay, I don't forget. Okay. Sweet. Oh, yeah. I, I can't wait yeah. to unpack that. I had no idea. So Shannon comes back no. and she's saying, or I think Saeed comes up to her and she's saying, like, I saw Walt and, you know, whispers are happening. Ooh. I know that there's actually a article on Lostpedia about the whispers and sometimes it tells you what the whispers are saying. So let me just check that and see if a whisper transcript. That's what I want. I love Lostpedia. The fact that the whispers actually say things freaks yeah. me out. Let's read the pilot. Season two. Man of science, man of faith. Oh, yay! I love this. Okay. <laughs> I get so excited. I haven't read these, so I'm very excited. Okay. Each section is either the left, the right, or the center audio track. The tracks are played simultaneously. So uh, these are just like a whole lot of, of words that I'm just going to start reading out. Do you see her? I think she's right behind us. Uh, shut up. I think she sees... This crosses my trail now. It's very cold. Thousand miles. I know it all. It's the eye, the antenna, 10 out of 10. Don't know what that means. Somebody is walking behind us. Which one do you think it was? I don't know. Right beside us in a minute. Give it time. Is there time? Been to the Black Rock. Is she 815? Do you see her? Is she coming? Relax. She's not behind us. Is she 815? That's really Ooh. freaky. Oh, it's so spoopy. I love it. That's very and then spoopy. Walt reverse says, "Don't push the button. The button is bad." Yeah. 
I feel like that's good advice that someone should listen to. (laughs) (laughs) If only it weren't backwards. Walt is like, hello, why can't you understand me? Um, But either way, they get back and Sun's like, oh, like, do you think, like, if Walt is there, then the raft must be back. Like, where's Jin? And Saeed's like, no, please. (laughs) He is not here. Everybody's on the raft. Everything is fine. I'm a man of science, please. (laughs) (laughs) And then Shannon's just so frustrated because she's like, I know what I saw. The thing about the hallucinations is so interesting, and this is something that I, I kind of tried to flag all the way through the show, and I and I don't know quite if I sort of landed on a particular pattern, but but it's interesting to me the like like you know as and I don't think this is too spoiler because I think we've seen them before that like the the visions and hallucinations like the the way that they work on the island I think is so interesting to me, but there seems to be there are some where like a person like with a person who is having who sees the vision um, or who I guess kind of manifests the vision is the only one that can see it. And then there are some times where there's like a person who manifests the vision and, and it's corporeal enough that other people can see it too. And I think the sort of which ones, which is always really interesting to me, but I, and, and and what purpose do they serve? But it feels like in, in this, you know, in this particular one, the purpose it seems to serve is kind of, maybe accidentally very much discrediting Shannon and giving Shannon this really strong conviction that something extremely serious is wrong. But it does feel significant that this is one that like, you know, nobody else is around to witness what she witnesses. You know, she, so she's the only person who saw what she saw. Mm -hmm. So everyone comes back and Jack is talking about how, yeah, there's a hatch, but unfortunately it's not going to work because there's no way we're all going to get inside. And Charlie's like, hi, where's Dr. Arst? You know, the character that just showed up that I totally am aware of. And Jack's like, oh, he died. And everyone's like, you know, he's he's around. Oh, yeah, he's around. Yeah, in a way, he's always with us. He's just in a bunch of peace. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Charlie, like one of them probably sm- swallowed some of them. Ew. <laughs> Ew. Stop with the cannibalism. What's with you? <laughs> I don't know. I'm really concerned about me. But they're like, oh, Jack, did you see the others? And Charlie's like, there aren't any others. And we're like, Charlie, seriously? Like, what proof do you even have? Like, whatever. He has the proof of the, like, blind <laughs> And also, like, when, like, why does he believe this? Basically what happens is he walks in and he takes Aaron back and he says, hey, you are the one who did this fire. You're the nutso one. You're the others. And she, and Rousseau just cries. She doesn't answer because she's sad. And he's like, okay, well, that must mean yes. And he just walks away. <laughs> like, oh. Season two, Charlie fam. Oh. I don't even know what to say. He's so special. Well, he's also definitely, I think, projected his own distrust of Rousseau mm-hmm. as, as being like, objective facts like i don't like you and i don't trust you so i just am gonna assume that anything that anything that you say is a lie Mm -hmm. yep which is like i mean absolutely fair because she does lie and he and his reasons for distrusting her are not bad reasons it's just one of those things where like somebody can't see the limits of their own perspective you know Mm mm-hmm exactly and so chaos ensues and jack once again (laughs) is just like hey i have thoughts and so you know this kind of goes with the flashback that we just saw with jack uh jack's father christian saying hey why don't you try and hand out some hope here and jack's like (laughs) okay i guess i will like the only good advice christian ever gives and um so he's like okay well we still have four guns and that's a number (laughs) (laughs) 
damn it. Um, and so. I was like, she's pausing for a reason. Jack is like, I promise everything's going to be okay. Like, all is well. And Locke just walks by and he's like, Locke, what are you doing? <laughs> like, stop it. You're in timeout. Where, where are you going? And Locke's like, oh, I'm just that. getting some cable. You stop that. Why? Because I'm going to go down in the hatch. <laughs> gonna do <laughs> None what? of your business. And he's like. I was putting up some decorations. <laughs> well, do you think that's a very smart idea right now? And he's like, probably not, but I'm an adult. So, bye. <laughs> Honestly, though, I get it. He says, I'm tired I of I would waiting. listen to Jack either. I have a quote would- for you. What I have a it? quote. I wrote it down from uh, the commentary. Something that Damon Lindelof says, who I love. I'm just going to keep talking about how much I love Damon Lindelof. Wow, Robin, sorry. Do you love Damon Lindelof? Like, I couldn't tell. I love his mind <laughs> a lot. Okay, okay. Okay, so this is... But, like, you you love him and you don't hate him. No, I really appreciate him, actually. Okay, interesting. <laughs> well, I wasn't really getting that okay. vibe, so I just had to check. You know, I've met him. Yeah, and you cried. I did. Aww. He wasn't weird about <laughs> yeah. it, though. He was really nice. I love him. Um, So this is a quote from Damon about this scene in the commentary. Um, Okay, so here's what he says. What I love about this scene is here it is. Like, these are the two guys who had different reactions to the finale last year. You know, there's people who watch the show for the characters, emotion, everything that Carlton was just talking about. Because Carlton was just talking about stuff. Um, And then there's the audience who just wants to get the hell down that hatch. And here's Locke basically saying, that was a real nice speech. And it's great that you are sort of progressing emotionally, Jack. But I'm taking a rope and I'm going down the hatch (laughs) because that's the show that I want to (laughs) see. And, you know, it's sort of what we always strive for as writers to basically sort of do both of those things at the same time that I think makes Lost lost. Because once we just completely embrace, just embrace all the mythology and it just becomes that, it'll become so dense and make it completely inaccessible. And if the show was just yeah. about the characters every week, that sort of exciting thing that happens that they react to the mysteries of the island, that would be fairly boring to watch too, I think. I think that's so smart. I feel like that actually really <laughs> nails it. I, I think, because um, yeah. I, I had, I had a lot of, I had a lot of thoughts and feelings about that little that little sort of Jack and, and Locke moment too. And one thing I think is really interesting is is that um, you know I I do I think sort of the running theme of the episode of all of the different characters, both in past and present, who have tried to communicate to Jack what he loses as a person by being so. Um, so pragmatic himself yeah, like being so pragmatic and so kind of factually driven that he has no space for um for hope or faith or even optimism sometimes because it's so like just the mm-hmm. facts just the facts and that's so much the root of like the divide between him and and Locke. i mean that is that's that's the man of science man of faith split so i think it's so it's kind of heartbreaking for jack in that moment is like you know we we get all these different characters kind of, you know, like Hurley does it, Locke does it, Kate does it, Desmond and Christian do it in the flashback, Sarah does it in the flashback, kind of trying to help show Jack, like, you know, here's like, here's the thing that kind of sucks about the the fundamental way that you are. And in that moment, we see him like, <laughs> he, he, like, he does the other thing. He tries a different way. He's like, look, okay, yes, I like, I'm getting that it is important in this moment that like, even though I can't guarantee to you that we're all going to be okay, what you need to hear in this moment is me saying like, I promise you, like they need, like they need hope. They need that Mm -hmm. soon to hold on to. And, and for like 15 seconds, 
it works. And then Locke's 15? like, 15? Anyway, I mean, not really. 15 is one but, of the numbers. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um, eight seconds. Four oh seconds. my God. But, um, <laughs> but then, like, he, ha- he, like, for just like for a moment, like, he has them and it worked and it was what they needed. And then Locke comes along and he's like, tra la la, I will ruin this. And I was like, no, <laughs> Locke, he had a big breakthrough as a human person. <laughs> Let him have this moment. It's literally like a Chandler Bing moment where like someone's having a really serious thing and then Chandler has to crack the joke to break the tension. Right, mm. right, exactly, yeah. And and Jack That's is like, locked. I'm gonna like give you all hope that we're all gonna like live to see the morning. We're gonna get through this. It's gonna be okay. The, the sun's gonna rise in three hours and we're all gonna be here to see it. Like, I promise. And then Locke is like, what if I just took some rope and ruined everything? <laughs> Could this be any more poorly timed? <laughs> Stop. <laughs> uh, my head is actually in my hands right now. So Kate goes up to Jack and she says, do you really believe that we're going to be okay? And he goes, um, yeah, sure. <laughs> nah, man, nah. And she's like, oh, that's weird. Optimism? And he's like, sure. <laughs> Optimism. Okay. And Kate's like, man, like, you're so great. <laughs> if you weren't here, we'd all go to crap. And I'm like, well, okay, sure. Sure, whatever. I like how the show has to like have Kate say that so that all of us are like buy into it, be like, yes, we do need Jack. He is not entirely useless as a leader. Though I do like, I did like hearing somebody articulate, like, I recognize that you just did something that's totally counterintuitive for you, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Damn it. Why would you have to make that moment make actual emotional (laughs) sense to me? That's not nice. (laughs) I like Jack. I I don't love him, but I actually do like him. I like Jack, especially in this episode. I think that this mm-hmm. episode is one of the best Jack episodes. I would agree. Um, I would say that, like, in terms of flashbacks... God, the bar for him is so low. <laughs> I would say in terms of flashbacks, this is my number one Jack flashback. Like, yeah. my number one set of Jack flashbacks, for sure. Mm-hmm. I would agree. I love this episode. And I have so many thoughts about the flashbacks when we get there. I'm so excited. Yes, me too. Um, so Kate's saying, like, okay, well, I'm gonna go in the hatch. Like, I know that you can't. And so he's like, hmm, challenge accepted. But she's like, I know that you can't, um, but, like, Locke can't be by himself down there, because if he gets hurt, like, somebody needs to be there for him and live together, die alone. And he's like, oh, you twisted my own words. Okay, I see you. Aww. Thank you. I have nothing else to say. I just think it's cute. So that's really, like, all that we've got from the cave. So now it's time to... To start talking about uh, um, our buddy. Yeah. You guys excited? <laughs> Finally. So, uh, this is one of the best season openers of all time. I'm biased, but yes. I believe that in my soul. Also, I think one of the. You're biased, but you're uh, also yeah, right. And, and one of the best character introductions I've ever seen on any mm-hmm. show. Yeah. Yeah. This one in season mm-hmm. three. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Like, it's interesting. I feel like if I was watching for the first time and I watched the beginning of season three, which for anybody who doesn't know, no spoilers, but it's it's very similar to this in which, like, an old school song plays and we introduce a new character and see, like, their mm-hmm. their sort mm-hmm. of life. And I, like, I feel like if I was in the hiatus between season two and season three, I'd be like, ooh, how are they going to start season two? And once they, or season three, and then as soon as season three starts, I'm like, oh my God, is this a theme? Are they going to keep doing this? Right. The answer is no, they're not going to keep doing it, but they did it for two season premieres in a row. And with yeah, the best characters. All yep. tea, all shade. Yep. So we begin with the blip. The beep, it's iconic. Boop. It's, boop. Come on, you got to do a set of three. 
Okay, cool. <laughs> I kind of thought you guys would do it too. My brain was like, whoa, 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 whoa. You can't just do two. It's like an ellipsis, but you only do two. Uh-uh. <laughs> well, it's like if, if you guys were like real friends and not fake friends, you also would have done it. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Didn't so, even think about it. Yeah, really uh, awkward. Excuse me. I did um, not. No one told me when they came on this podcast, I was going to have to beep. Yeah. <laughs> excuse me. Um, That wasn't in my contract. <laughs> Well, now you know. <laughs> um, and then we open on an eye. I love when we open on eyes. Mm-hmm. That's a oh, what a pretty eye. <laughs> Go off. This is this is gonna be the whole episode is me going, Oh, that's really pretty. Oh, that's really pretty. Oh, that's really pretty. <laughs> so this is Desmond and in the commentary they were kind of talking about like once we see Desmond in the flashback, it's like, you know this is the man in the hatch. You know it is because you're yeah. like, Who's this random? <laughs> you know? Yeah. But they're like, but, and yet still, we try our best to, at the end of the episode, have Jack go, you, and you're like, oh, it is, what? <laughs> and you're still, even though you knew it was him, it's great. You're like, you're just not quite sure. It's so well and done. They, and they do a good job of, I think, of, of drawing out that reveal kind of as, as long as is practically possible. You know, because like, mm-hmm. I, I yeah. could see, like... You know, and again, this is something where like I'm I'm trying to sort of reverse engineer how I would have watched this if I hadn't known all along. Like, you know, I've been waiting the whole throughout the whole first season to meet Henry Ian Cusick, and now here he is, and I'm so finally fulfilled as a person. But um, but but <laughs> if I but if I didn't, like I, I was trying to watch it thinking like if I hadn't known this was coming, you I could totally see somebody watching it thinking like, okay, so you know, here's a here's a person who's in the hatch who they're very carefully like, we never see his face. We only mm-hmm. see like, like we don't, you know, his, his, he has long hair, but it's down in the bunker and it's pulled back in a sweaty ponytail right. in the flashback. So that's not necessarily a direct correlation. Um, and, and you could sort of, I, it's, it's very easy to see flashback Desmond as like, like if you told me that he existed only in that episode to be like, in support of the Jack and Sarah storyline, you'd be like, yeah, okay, I believe you. You know, like that, like it, it exists right. to sort of mo- move Jack forward emotionally and another voice sort of echoing what Christian had said and what everyone else had said about like believing in, sometimes the, the force of believing in something is itself the thing that you need to make that thing happen, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and calling it a miracle might be loftier terminology than Jack is comfortable with. But Christian's point, I think, is a very valid one that like, you know, and there are scientific studies that have documented that like, you know, the, when a, like when a patient has a significant illness or an injury, like their mental state and their like sense of possibility of whether recovery, you know, is achievable actually is a really significant factor in the recovery, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so Christian's right from sort of a scientific perspective and, you know, and, and Desmond's words are more sort of philosophical, but I could, like, I, I could see, I could see somebody, you know, like watching this episode and not clicking those pieces together until you hear his voice and you hear him say, you know, hear him say brother. And you're like, you, you hear enough words that you're like clocking the accent. And you're like, oh my God, it's that guy. Mm-hmm. And then of course yeah. the mystery becomes not just, not just how this person got there and, and how it is that somebody from Jack's, you know, past is here in the present, but also like what happened to him to change him mm-hmm. from that person mm-hmm. that we meet in the flashback into this terrifying, creepy guy holding a gun at lock. So it doesn't, 
it just changes what the mystery is and it doesn't take any of the mystery away. And I think that's really masterfully handled. Yeah. That's basically like what Lost always did perfectly is not so much resolving mysteries as moving them in a new direction that you didn't mind because you didn't feel like they thought you were an idiot. Yes. Yeah. Can I read you guys some things from Lostpedia? Always. So this is ridiculous. You know, there are so many numbers in this like beginning sequence. Like there are so many of the numbers in the beginning sequence that you're thinking, okay, not all of this can be, but like, not all of this can be purposeful, but like, how is it not purposeful? So like, these are all the things that people have picked out from Lostpedia just in this beginning sequence. Okay. The song Make Your Own Kind of Music plays for one minute and eight seconds before the record player is stopped by the explosion. Oh. No. <sighs> Amazing. Okay. The numbers, as well as their sum 108, are visible on the Swan mur- mural, which is the obvious one. Yeah. Desmond yeah. is riding his stationary bike at a rate of 16 miles per hour. Oh my god. What? Wow, Ian's so talented. <laughs> the mixer flask Desmond is holding contains about 15 to 16 cubic centimeters of juice. Okay. The shower that head. That was a reach. The shower head in the Swan Station has 42 holes. Okay, that's a reach. Yeah. <laughs> but like, what? So the, someone in the prop department's like congratulating yeah. themselves. <laughs> like, anyway, that's messed up. Those are all of them, but like, that's so much. That's amazing. That's a lot. I think the 16 miles per hour is the weirdest one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I can't even tell which of these things, like, like the juice one, I can definitely see Jack Bender, who's the director, being like, okay, how much juice should we put in? Oh, I know. <laughs> ah, they're gonna like this yeah, one. Yeah, so, but the shower head, like, that's nuts. I don't know. I don't know about that one. I don't know. There's a bit of a continuity error in this as well. Um, when uh, Desmond goes to put the numbers into the computer, he puts spaces in between the numbers and never again in the series do we have to put in spaces. <laughs> you know that was Ian's fault. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like the computer does it for you for the rest of the of the series. So that's hundo Ian's yeah. fault and you know that's it. Funny. And it's interesting that like down in the hatch, like Desmond just flipped on some lights and now it's morning. Like outside it's yeah. night, but it's morning here. He can just pick when morning is. Like, how did he get so far off his, like, schedule? Right? Well, he only gets... Well, I guess we don't know that yet. Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good point. Good point. Good point. He's doing laundry, and the whole thing about the laundry machines is that they're too modern. Like, that was another thing that was kind of a mess up, is that the laundry machines are too modern for uh, what actually, he would have down there. That, I, I clocked that, too. That was... And, and, the, and you can see in one of the shots, um, I forget if it's maybe when he's on the bike, um, wherever it is that the, that the washer and dryer are in the background, mm-hmm. um, you can you can identify by the packaging the brand of like detergent and stuff that's mm. there, and that's also very modern. Like yeah. that's that's like that's what Tide and Downy bottles looked like at the time that this show was made, mm-hmm. and that's so like if you're if you're going through sort of flagging it for little details, that's one of the few little like pulling you out of a, a the actual world once we know more about not to be spoiler, but what packaging looks like of things in the bunker. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and also... I love that your hundred is bleeding through and you call it the bunker instead of the oh, hatch. That just makes me laugh. <laughs> I also it's, call the bunker the hatch, though, on the hundred podcast, so it's fine. When, yes, you do. When Henry Ian Cusick is locked underground by a metal door, it's always a bunker to me. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, although, the, 
generally life seems well actually i was going to say life seems more pleasant in this one but realistically he's getting kind of a raw deal <laughs> both ways <laughs> um but uh but yeah but the, but the washer and dryer is one of the few things and i think the first time i watched it i didn't necessarily like notice it but it is is one of the few pieces that doesn't necessarily let you continue feeling like you're in the same era as the music i guess mm-hmm he also injects himself with a thing, which we'll also bring up in the spoiler section, but the numbers are on the label of that. Mm-hmm. Then we have the explosion, and he goes to, like, grab his gun and look through the scope, and it's Jack and Locke up there looking <gasps> down. Bum, bum, bum. And that shot is CGI, by the way. Oh. I mean... Just a fun fact. Oh. That makes sense. <laughs> Just a fun fact. Well, CGI wasn't, like, super a thing back then, so it's, it was really cool when it was a thing. How dare you? CGI has been a thing since 1992. Okay. When they filmed Jurassic Park. Thanks so much. Anyway. You know what? That was an interesting fun fact about CGI and you didn't appreciate it. (laughs) We appreciate you. Anyway, in the commentary, they were saying, hey, good job. That looks really good on CGI. So, (laughs) sorry. Shut up. So Hurley is concerned about um, what's going on, obviously. And Kate's like, hey, sup. And he's like, oh, no, it was whatever. It's fine. It's true. And Jack's like, okay, well, we can't get everyone down here, so I guess we'll go home. <laughs> and just like, Locke's like, I've done a lot of work, but okay. So they drop the- Jack is me in a parking lot when I can't find a parking spot, so I'm like, all right, I'm just going home. <laughs> uh, so they drop a rock down there, and there's some water, like a puddle down there, uh, 40 to 50 feet down. And Jack's like, yeah, cool, well, bye. Don't care. I guess we'll just sure. leave this open for any raccoon to fall down or whatever. <laughs> And it, like, why a raccoon? Oh, I don't know. I just picked an animal that would fit. Why is Jack Locke's dad in this? Like, I mean, not Locke's dad because Locke's dad sucks. But like, he's like, is that very smart, Locke? Where are you going? No, it's my decision. We're not going down the hatch today. Maybe tomorrow, but it's late. We're going home. You need a sweater. <laughs> <laughs> and Locke's literally like, okay. You don't know me. <laughs> Whatever. And so he's like, why don't you even want to go down, Jack? And Jack's like, hmm. I don't want to answer, so it's time for a flashback. (laughs) And I'm like, really? A Jack flashback? Must we? (laughs) Listen, these flashbacks are great. Like, usually I'd be like, no, Jack flashback. But this episode, I'm like, yes, the flashbacks. And aren't aren't premieres and finales pretty much always Jack? Um, uh, see, episode, season one premiere was Jack. Season one finale was... Like, just like everybody? Yeah. Oh, oh, that's right, yeah. Season two premiere, Jack. Season two finale, Desmond. Season one premiere, oh, or right. season three premiere, Jack. Season three finale, Jack. Season <laughs> four premiere, uh, Hurley, I think. Season four finale is um, a group of people, but includes Jack. Season... Okay, well, well, I was wrong. Five... Way to go. Premiere. Maybe, maybe the season five premiere was Hurley. No, I think the season five premiere. Are you doing this all off the top of your head? Yes. Yeah. Season, but season five finale is to a character that's very, very important that we can't talk about yet. And then season six premiere is lots of people. Season six finale is lots of people. So it is mostly, mostly okay. Jack. You know, whether that's good or bad. <laughs> I could have just said it's mostly Jack, but not always. But I went for it. You were like, you had to prove yourself. I'm smart. 
So Locke is like just really pumped. Like I guess Jack walked away and Locke was like, anyway, I guess I'll hang out here. <laughs> and Hurley's like, hey, just wondering why you opened the hatch. And he's like, what do you mean why? Like, of course I'm going to open the hatch. I've literally worked for months to open, or like one month to open the hatch. And Hurley's like, maybe because I was screaming, no God, why? Please, no. <laughs> <laughs> like the Michael Scott gif. No. Like, no God. No God, please, no, no. No! No! And Locke's like, oh, true, you right, you right. Um, I did it anyway, though, didn't He's I? He's literally like, oh, yeah, no, for sure. I just don't really care about your feelings or anything <laughs> you have to say. Sorry. <laughs> I'm like, sorry, I'm like a major slither in this episode. I can't even handle it. <laughs> yeah. Why'd you do that? Why'd you light the fuse, man? Why wouldn't I light the fuse? Uh, maybe because I was running towards you, waving my arms, yelling, don't do that? <laughs> well, you got a point there. I guess I was just excited to get inside. I mean, that's why we came here, isn't it? That's why we went all the way out to the Black Rock, and why we got the dynamite to blow the hatch. We did it so that we could get inside, Hugo. And to save everybody's lives. And to save everyone's lives. Or maybe it was just our destiny. Right, John? Maybe. I don't even know. He's like, listen, like, we ca we came here to get inside. Like, that's a whole thing. And Jack's like, or, like, didn't we come here to save everyone? And Locke's like, oh, I'm just not, I just can't win in this conversation today. I do like- He keeps accidentally exposing himself. Yeah, yeah, I actually, I do. I like that little moment where, where Locke kind of gets, not trapped, I guess, because no one really, like, outsmarts block that much but or at least not not yet but but where he sort of is pigeonholed into kind of admitting like okay yeah i've like our goals are no longer the same you know like like yeah. for for a while the sort of the quest for the bunker hatch <laughs> um yeah the, at, it kind of it very neatly dovetailed several different characters sort of motivations and and desires and interests together and I think at this point, what we're seeing is that for Jack and Locke in particular, now they're no longer the same. You I mean, like Jack wanted to open up the bunk hatch. Damn it. Oh Jack, my God, this is so funny. Now, it's like now that you said, like now I can't, now I can't stop doing it. Like now that it's planted in my brain. Jack wanted to open the hatch for very practical reasons that had to do with needing shelter for the whole group from the others, but also just kind of in general, like long-term shelter. You know, like are there, is there, kind of current status sustainable doing to sort of settle in somewhere for longer and in Locke always had his own motivation and was always only kind of grudgingly like you know like their their interests were sort of temporarily aligned you know and mm -hmm. um and Hurley's too and so I think it's really interesting watching watching the fracturing of this little group as I all sort of realized like oh actually everyone now has extremely different feelings about I think Kate is the only one where it's not quite so clear what her specific kind of perspective and agenda is but Hurley very much is like everybody run don't touch it it's cursed and tainted and poisoned and everyone is gonna die for the love of God save yourselves and Jack is like <laughs> well 
maybe, but let's come back and try it in the morning because this seems dangerous and stupid. And Locke is like, you know, in, in full, like anointed by the gods for a greater purpose mode right now. So it's just interesting sort of watching like in the finale, they're all kind of like on the same page with it. And now it's like, oh, uh, nope. True. And I, I like super love that because Locke finally is like able to be honest for like the first time on the island. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's like, yeah, nope. I'm here for me. He's like, yeah. Yep. Yeah, I'm here for me. Yeah, now that now that he's finally got what he's wanted from everybody else, he's like, okay, well, you guys can go. Yeah, I tried to do it by myself before, but I got stabbed in the leg. Um, <laughs> so now that you guys have helped me, we're good. See ya. Yeah, they they served their purpose for him, and now he doesn't need them anymore. Mm-hmm. And so Jack's like, oh, is this your destiny lock? Oh, destiny. Blah. I'm here to make fun of you for the things you believe. Ugh. I hate Jack sometimes. <laughs> I hate Jack a lot of the time. <laughs> what? Who said that? No, I don't know who said that. It was so weird. And then we also find out that the door said quarantine on it. Yes. Which isn't super helpful when it's in the mo- in the in the inside of the door. Oh yeah, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> you think you try and tell someone from the outside, "Hey, don't open this big old door." I mean, it occurs to me that maybe it's for Desmond. Oh, it's definitely for Desmond. Yeah. He's like, but- <laughs> he's like, oh, yeah, it doesn't help anybody on the outside, but it's for Desmond. <laughs> That's why he's just hanging out there. Now, don't forget, Desmond, you're never allowed to go outside ever again. <laughs> like, okay, mom. So Kate's like, hey, Locke, why, why do you want to get down there so bad? And he's like, badly. I'm like, is this the time? Yeah. <laughs> 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 I like but also we can maybe make a bit of a parallel here because Locke is talking about how they need to look on the bright side and then Kate is like well talking to Jack about the glass half full and how he's being an optimist and he's like um yeah I guess so like the, there's just so many differences between them Kate's like what's going on <laughs> <laughs> everyone's um happy And he's like, okay, well, maybe Jack thinks I'm crazy, but I mean, I was just pulled into a hole by a column of black smoke. So did you see that too? She's like, yeah. And he's like, oh, I wonder what Jack saw. (laughs) (laughs) No one's thinking, hey, where'd the smoke come from? He's like, if, if, if he thinks I'm crazy, what does he, what does he think? I, and I, I like that as sort of a little reminder of just sort of like, you know, there are things that they that all of them have witnessed that are already so bonkers that you can see, you know, you can see from Locke's perspective where it's like, why is this the thing you think is too weird to be real? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. Oh my gosh, you know what this reminds me of? Episode 105 is called White Rabbit. And it's like Jack running around the jungle looking for mm-hmm. this vision of his father. Yep. And he comes across Locke and Locke is like, hey, maybe it is your dad. And he's like, no, it's not. That's like impossible. And he's like, okay, well. And it's just like what Desmond is saying in this episode. He's like, well, maybe maybe you did fix her. No, I didn't. Mm-hmm. But maybe you did. And Jack's like, oh, makes no sense. Just gonna ignore you. <laughs> Jack's kind of bad at the Occam's razor thing. So now we have this Jack and Hurley scene. And... For some reason, everyone keeps bringing up the fact that that everyone thinks that Locke is like trying to get with people. Like this keeps happening in this in this series, and I don't know why. But he's like, "Oh yeah, Locke's with Kate." And like at one point later, Charlie's like, "Why is Claire hanging out with Locke? Why is Walt hanging out with Locke? Why is Boone hanging out with Locke? Maybe Locke just has friends." <laughs> no one's like, "Oh God, why is it here with Locke?" And Locke's like, "What? I'm relatable." <laughs> he's like, "I'm nice." <laughs> what's the deal uh 
It's and, like when it's like when I told Robin how many Twitter followers I had, and she was like, "Why?" <laughs> like she couldn't figure out why that many people were following me. Wow. Well, I'm just wondering the logistics. <laughs> Every time it's like, like when did they show up? <laughs> what did you do to make them follow you? Not I'm not that like nice why are they wow. following her? You're garbage. But like, how, how did this happen? Wow. I'm not saying you don't deserve them. I'm not saying that you're not worth following. I'm just saying, why is anyone interested in anything that you have to say? I'm just casually wondering. No. Like, like no saying... offense, but what do you contribute to the world or society? <laughs> I'm not saying you don't deserve them. I'm just asking where they came from. I'm just asking why other people think that you deserve them. <laughs> Ow, my stomach. <laughs> <laughs> Like, like, no tea, but, like, why do you exist as a person? <laughs> like, but, like, what did you do to make them follow you? I, I, I write things that people find appealing. Okay, right, that's but, the answer. But, Thank you. <laughs> right, but, like, what's wrong with those people that they think that you're interesting? That's the real question. Uh, I'm locked. <laughs> For better or for worse. Oh, I'm crying. <laughs> I actually like I'm in pain. My cheeks hurt, my stomach hurts. <laughs> Robin, you are my favorite person. Don't tell Sam or Claire. Okay. <laughs> good, good. Uh, Sam has now emerged from her nap to give me the finger. <laughs> I love that she woke up just to do that. She literally did. Is she snoring though? Because you'll have to wake her up. That's a thing. She's she's not snoring. She's angrily tossing and turning like there's not a bedroom like 20 feet from here that she can peacefully sleep in. So anyway, lost. Hurley is like, wow, you, you don't think it's funny? Because usually you think everything's funny. Mr. Ha Ha. <laughs> Jack for some reason thinks that's funny. I love how like Sawyer does nicknames. Hurley does one nickname and everyone's like, hey. But I mean, Sawyer's nicknames are mean. But, <laughs> but Hurley's like... Yeah, Sawyer's nicknames are racist. And Hurley's like, I also have a nickname. And, and Jack's like, well, it's funny when you do it. <laughs> I love that. I love that little scene between that Jack and Hurley scene. I found mm-hmm. it so, so delightful. And and it had, I think, like probably four of my top contenders for best line. <laughs> yes. Uh, Everything Hurley like, says in this scene is gold. Maybe the others are coming to eat us. Um, maybe like sometimes people blow up on you and, but I do get to sleep in every morning, (laughs) but you get to sleep in. So like, that's good. And Jack's like, okay, well, what were you talking about with the numbers? And he's like, oh yeah, I don't need to tell the story. And he's like, he's like, you'll think I'm crazy. And he's like, oh, that's okay. And, and like in the commentary, they were literally being like, guys, y'all know this is just exposition for last, last season. Like, it's just like you read Harry Potter and then you read Chamber of Secrets and they're like, here's what happened in Philosopher's Stone. And you're like, I know. But but she has to do that just in case someone's just picking up Chamber of Secrets and not reading Philosopher's Stone. So, like, that's what they're doing. But it doesn't feel like exposition and it's great. No, it, it feels like you know, it, and I think this happens with other characters too. I can't remember off the top of my head. I'm, I'm sure Robin knows, but isn't there some other moment where, where Hurley's kind of like, here's my backstory. And then someone else is like, fine, don't tell me. Like assuming that it's like a totally made up story. Yes. Charlie does that, which is upsetting because he's his best friend and he doesn't believe it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 So I, I think, I think part of the, the, what I think the function that it serves aside from just kind of a, a recap of like, you know, Hurley's backstory 101 is it sort of, it, it reminds you how on some level, every single thing that's ever happened to Hurley is completely implausible. And when he says, yeah. when, when he gives you like the Cliff Notes version of it, like you understand from Jack's perspective why you're like, okay, 
none, none of that could possibly be true. But then I, and I love that the one thing that he sort of latches onto of that all that escalating craziness is like, wait, you were in a psych ward? And it's like, Jack, like, but it, like did you miss the part where he won the lottery? Right. Or or are you? Hurley tells Jack he's a cursed millionaire who hates numbers. Right. Or, or did Jack hear psych ward and then filtered everything else out because he's like, oh, right. okay, I have the one fact about you that I need to have, which is I think that you're mentally unstable. And Hurley is like, excuse you. You were in a psych ward? I'm not crazy. I'm not saying you are. So, what, that's it? That's all? What do you want me to say? How about you believe me, man? Hurley. They're numbers. What's that thing where doctors make you feel better just by talking to you? Bedside manner. Yeah, that. Your sucks, dude. Which, like, Hurley even says, he says, you're going to think I'm crazy. And he's like, oh, no, I, know. I won't. Ugh. Yeah, it's, it is. But I, I like, you know, I, Hurley, one of the functions I think Hurley serves in, in the narrative, I think, so well is, and I mean, this is just like, I don't know, maybe maybe I'm wrong. But it feels to me like he he's almost always telling the truth, you know, and in a way where a lot of other characters sometimes feel like they're kind of prevaricating for their own reasons or whatever. It's like when Hurley says something to a person about who that person is, it always is the thing that they really need to hear right now. They don't always mm-hmm. listen, but but it's you know, it's a it's a thing that they need to be told. Um, yeah. And I and I like that what he does with that here is, you know, is using like, OK, here's something about me. And Jack's like, mm, I don't really believe you. And Hurley uses that to sort of reinforce this kind of message that we, you know, we get from, you know, from Sarah, from Christian, from, you know, Desmond, from from Locke, from everybody else that like like Jack's bedside manner, Jack's ability to um, say things that will make people feel better or make them feel like he cares about them mm-hmm. is is like learned behavior that is really, really hard for him, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I like I like the way that it sort of uses Hurley to be like, hey, FYI, you're a very unsympathetic character right now, Jack. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, you kind of suck. Yeah. Full offense, and- but you're bad at this. One of the new uh, things that we get is that Mr. Clux, oh, we don't know, I don't think we know, yeah, we do know it's called Mr. Clux, was hit by a meteor or a meteorite, and uh, that's new information, but we will discuss that in the spoiler section because we do see that later. That's hilarious information. Yeah, that yeah. was my, that's my favorite line pick. I don't know if that's a spoiler, but that I, when yeah. I, when I watched this episode first, because I didn't, you know, I didn't know, I didn't know that happened, like we don't. Yeah. learn anything more about it it was just like that line and i laughed so hard i had to like stop the tv and just like <laughs> laugh. i was like i can't concentrate on anything else that's happened until i process like what the hell was that i was like this is beautiful like this is what what the characters like hurley are for this is what mm. i miss in like shows like i'm watching i'm catching up on westworld right now and i've been (laughs) kind of talking about about westworld and how i think that they're trying to be very lost-esque and i am really enjoying season two but i think they missed the mark uh just because when i'm watching westworld like when i watch lost it's like here's something that's true and if it doesn't make sense maybe it'll make sense later and then when it makes sense you'll be like oh i remember that from earlier and westworld goes here's something that's true is it true? But is it? I don't. Yes, it is. No, nope, maybe it's not. Oh no, it's true. 
it is. And then I just forget about it. Maybe we're lying. And like, yeah, maybe it's not true. Maybe it's just a host. Is this person a real person? I don't know. Like, well, because when a TV show lies to you, you don't trust it anymore. Mm -hmm. So like I watch Westworld and enjoy Westworld. I don't emotionally invest in it because the characters are more of a way to move the plot along. And I'm not really Mm -hmm. into that. And the the show like will blatantly lie to you and make you think you're like the show gaslights you into its own (laughs) plot lines. And you're like, I'm not into this. Yeah. I like puzzles. Well, that's the thing is on on Lost, they're like, here's the mythology, here's the characters. This show is about both things and you can enjoy it by right. like enjoy both things. On Westworld, exactly. I don't really care about the characters. They don't feel as fleshed out as they do on Lost. Yeah. Like I really only care about the mythology. And like what I was kind of moving on to is it's like there's these moments with with characters like Hurley, characters like Charlie, even characters like Jin sometimes, mm-hmm. where they give you such a lighthearted, beautiful scenes where you can just be like, oh. Like, yeah. think dramatic things are happening, but at least we have this moment just to, like, enjoy it. And they, they don't have those in Westworld at all. Well, and Because that's the root of humanity, yeah. is you can get through anything if you have lighter moments with the people you love. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I feel like, you know, I was... I I think one one trend in in television, I think in in entertainment and media um, across the board, that I think HBO shows in general and Westworld is a good example of it that fall prey to. That is why I often find that I don't enjoy them as much is I think you know I think cynicism is very trendy and having mm-hmm. a heart like things that are heartfelt are automatically seen as being kind of intellectually lesser. And yeah. um and so or uh, for women. Or which is yes, another, yeah, or yeah. for women or um or for a a less sophisticated audience. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. so I think one of the things that that I think both works about lost and also is probably I think by necessity a function of the fact that it was for network television and was trying to capture as broad of an audience as it could, which is something that HBO doesn't necessarily have to bother with as much so they can kind of afford to like be a little bit more kind of I think niche but I you know I I think I think the idea that to me, to, to me, like I, I think if you have to boil down, you know, what what loss is, it's like yes, yeah, like it's a it's a sort of a beautifully weird puzzle, but it's also to me, it's so much about like the necessity of human connection. Yeah, like mm-hmm. that, like it is it is a love letter to relationships, family, it's found so family, marriages, romantic relationships, parents and children, and everything that everybody does is shaped by that. Like not just the sort of like this family that they create, but the relationships in their other lives and their flashbacks, positive and negative. And and I feel like, I, I think that's something that a lot of times showrunners, especially male showrunners, feel like that diminishes the kind of intellectual heft and weight of the of the puzzle part of it, of the mythology part of it, of the part where you have to like use your brain, you know? Um, yeah. And I think that filters down into the kind of, and I, I'm, I'm new to sort of the world of fandom. So a lot of what I sort of know about fandoms, like the Lost fandom is entirely kind of theoretical, but it feels to me from kind of people that I've talked to who are in this fandom when this show was airing, that that kind of gender split between the like, you know, the the mythology nerds and the shippers really yep. felt like that, that really shaped how the show was viewed. Like either you're a smarty smart and you watch this to track instances of the numbers and how all the mythology yeah. ties together, or, you care about shipping and therefore you're a dumb girl 
and you're watching the show like in a in a less smart person way and so a mm-hmm. that sort of like that that erases the possibility that there are probably plenty of people who who enjoyed all of those things that the yeah. show intended you to enjoy all of those things that they wanted you to care about both of those things and also that kind of diminishes the idea that like caring about relationships is a totally valid way to engage with a text like that's yeah you know, so I, I think this is, and I think this is a great example of, of an episode where all those pieces come into play. You know, there's so many clues and there are so many mysteries and there's so many like touch points into the show's big overarching themes. And there's so many like, you know, like little like mystery kind of things to kind of, you know, hinge onto. And also there's all of this like deep heartfelt relationship and character stuff, even, even the what things that are sort of like the kind of side plots and more kind of like hinted at a little bit um, and how they're all bridged together. So I guess I just, I know I'm just sort of rambling, but I, I think, I think this show blends those things really well. And I wish more shows understood that like, you know, I, I have to care about these people if I'm going to care at all about the sort of intellectual journey that you're taking me on. Yeah. And like within the JJ verse, that's a constant. Like I just, I don't want to watch just a puzzle for a puzzle. Yeah. And like, if you look at, if you look at like the, the difference between Westworld and Lost is they actually have, or or Westworld and Lost. And then you think about person of interest, person of interest in Westworld, it's the same showrunner. It's um, Jonathan Nolan. But the difference is it's not part of the JJ verse and the Mm -hmm. JJ verse, like the JJ Abrams, like sort of unified television universe, Mm -hmm. all is very character driven. Oh yeah. Well, that's what I love. And when you, you remove those, you know, requirements for television, you end up with Westworld. Well, and that's like what what works about alias. Like alias is, is a phenomenal show that, you know, that, that, some of the similar complaints people have about Lost where the mythology goes a little off the rails in later seasons is kind of like, mm, that's fair. I love it, but I get yeah. that's not for everyone. But yeah. like, you know, like Alias, it's like on paper, it's a like, you know, kick-ass girl spy thriller with some mythology stuff attached. But like the what the reason why it works is that like at the outset, like from the from the pilot onwards, it's a father-daughter story. Like it's a, it's a yeah. family story. It's a story about like, you know, a young woman trying to sort of find her place in the world. And it happens that her life circumstances are that both she and her father are like, you know, spies working for this like international spy ring. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, but but it's about but like the 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 same kind of found family dynamic that makes Lost so incredible. You know, exists in this workplace. It just happens that it's a spy workplace. You know, um, and she falls in love, and it just happens to be like with her CIA handler. You know, so like the circumstances are are extreme and action sequency and crazy. But like the father daughter story at the heart of Alias is why you care about mm-hmm. like Sydney Bristow's ass kicking and her fantastically crazy costumes and her you know wardrobe of wigs and you know arsenal of weapons and whatever it's because you're like i'm invested in you as a person you know in your relationships in how they're all evolving and how you change as a human being and i and i don't feel like that diminishes the action or the ass kicking or like just sort of the the coolness spectacle factor or the sort of brain twisty mythology factor that it's like, it's fair to be like, but also like she's a young woman and this is her, you know, like let's think about her dating life and her roommate, mm-hmm. you know, and things like that and her parents and things so, that make you a whole person. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so that's cause I, I had sort of a similar, like, like I watched Westworld for a while until there was a, like not to spoil it for anyone who's has not watched it, but there was a character death, like maybe three quarters of the way through the first season that I just couldn't get past. I was like, this mm-hmm. is just yeah. like, 
this is so gratuitously brutal towards women in general and this woman in particular that I'm just kind of like, I don't like, why am I doing this to myself? You don't have to keep watching it. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I had a similar, I, I Altered Carbon was similar, though. I actually, I Altered Carbon, I really loved. Yeah, I didn't like but, it. Um, but it was a similar thing where there's like, like, sci-fi spectacle is one thing and I and I and there's times when I enjoy it like perfectly fine but I'm if I'm gonna love a show I I have to care about who these people are and the journey that Mm -hmm. they're going on and yeah and you can't just sort of like wave some like look a conspiracy theory look an international spy ring look magic curse numbers look robots and it have and have that be sufficient for me to care yeah yeah just finishing up this scene basically Jack's like you were in a psych ward and Hurley's like like, yeah, I told you I'm not crazy. And he's like, okay, what do you want me to say? And Hurley's like, man, I shouldn't have freaking told you. I just want you to believe me. Like, what like why would why would I tell you this story if if you weren't gonna believe me? And he goes, And at this point, it's ridiculous for Jack not to believe him, considering all the weird stuff that's happened. Right. Exactly. Hello, you're on a magic island. You just saw a smoke monster. Are you freaking kidding me? You can't just think that some numbers are cursed. And so he like, goes, literally, here are all the examples of when the numbers are here. And so Jack's like, dude, they're just numbers. And Hurley's like, I've heard that before. I know. Never mind. And like, when has Hurley ever lied to him? Exactly. There's no reason to think that he would. Until he hears that he's in a, that he was in a psych ward. Yep. Jack. And it's like, that is, of all the parts of that sentence... That is the least interesting part of that sentence because that sentence also included things like being a millionaire and <laughs> meteors. <laughs> well, like, that's the thing is it's just like, it's played for humor as well. He's like, oh, you were in a psych ward? And you're like, oh, <laughs> that's the only thing he got. But when you boil it down to it, it's like, dude, hello. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's Loki just like a little bit ignorant. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like people can, you can end up in psych wards for severe depression. Like yeah. Jack does, and Jack's a doctor. Jack's a doctor who worked in a hospital that obviously had a psych ward. Jack mm-hmm. should know better. So after, you know, Jack makes his speech and Kate says to Jack that she's leaving, she gets to the hatch and she's like, oh, Locke, I thought you'd be down there by now. And he's like, oh, I was waiting for you. I love these things about Locke where he's just like kind of a little bit omniscient. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just a little bit, though, where he's like, yeah, I knew you were coming because he just like sees people. Yeah. he Well, he understands people. Yeah. He's done nothing but watch them and talk to them his whole life. Also, he's like a major slither in this episode. He's like, hope Kate shows up because she's the one who's going down there. <laughs> Awkward. And so she's like, oh, what? wait, what's our safe word? And he's like, how about stop? And she's like, oh, good one. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good thought. So one of the vines break and she like drops down. Um, one of the things that they said on the commentary is that Evie did this this stunt herself. She loves to do the stunts. Oh wow! Yeah, and so Damn, she, she's a badass. <laughs> she drops the flashlight and she's like, "Oh, maybe we should stop." <laughs> and Locke's like, "Nah, <laughs> just." Just keeps going. And she uh, starts to count to five. And this was another thing that Lostpedia had was that she tries to count to five, which is a callback to the to the uh, pilot, um, but she stops at four. Oh, uh, that's a number. Yeah. Um, she's like, um, I think there's something down here. And then that's when the light turns on, which is, of course, like a callback to Deus Ex Machina when the light came on. And yeah, it's just like a whole iconic thing. Yeah, it's like a total callback to like Jesus too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get Call it? Call back to Jesus. 
Because <laughs> Henry and Cusick played Jesus. Do you get it? Uh, yeah. I get it. I get it. Thanks. Um, Thanks. Locke's <laughs> hands get all bloody. And that's a thing that I noticed is that like Jack immediately is like, oh, this could probably hurt my hands. <laughs> so yeah. he wraps his hands when he goes down. The only person smart. Like, I, I can't. Yep. I can't watch the scene where the cable like. Yeah. Like pulls out of Locke's hand. Like, I'm just like, oh, my God, I can't like look directly at it. It's just like so. Yep. It's like, you stupid yeah. idiot, wrap your damn hands. Yeah. <laughs> so she's she's gone. Like, he's like, well, don't know what to do next. We, I mean, we learn that he he goes down in there. But Hurley comes to Jack. Can you imagine if he just, like, bolted, though? <laughs> he was like, oh, crap. Okay, well, I'm not going down there. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> um, Hurley's like, oh, are you going? And Jack's like, yeah, going to the hatch. And he's like, well, what about what you said? And he's like, yeah, I changed my mind. So, don't, bye. Like, don't ask questions. <laughs> so he gets to the hatch, and he's just kind of exploring... Um, he gets his gun ready. He finds some shoes on the ground, which at the time is kind of like, oh my God, shoes. Like anything <laughs> that you find down there is you're like, oh, a hint. What is it? A pair of shoes. <laughs> and at the same time, you're like, oh, sweet, free shoes. Yeah, free shoes. <laughs> and like, it's so funny that at the time, like, you know, you know it's dumb, but like things are so intense that you're like, oh, a pair of shoes. And then you learn that like literally Locke just took off his shoes so he could tippy toe. <laughs> But like, it is, but it is cool. Like the the, the shoes are like the first, like like you sort of looking at it from from the perspective of like kind of information gathering. I really mm-hmm. like. I think the way that they execute that sort of little series of of reveals is so like there's the shoes and then there's the paint and like the the sort of magnetism like like things that like later we come to understand yes. the story between them but watching Jack see them and just kind of be like there's a weird thing there's a weird thing there's a very weird thing um yeah it's a great suspense builder. It's so good. And like, this is like the perfect example of show don't tell. Yes. Yeah. This is incredible. Yeah. I love this crap. So, <laughs> so there's a mural and uh, fun fact. I, ha- I haven't said, I, ha- I gave you fun facts, but I never said fun facts. So I couldn't use the little jingle. Oh, you used what is wrong with you? Sorry. So anyway, fun fact, this mural was painted by Jack Bender, who is one of the main directors who directed Aww. this episode. And he also does like most of the paintings that you see, including like um, the paintings at Claire's boyfriend's apartment and such in Race by Another. Robin is obsessed with Jack Bender. I love him. He does such a good job. <laughs> he was nominated for a um, Emmy Emmy a couple years ago for his episode of Game of Thrones. I'm proud of him. <laughs> I love everyone behind the scenes. I think they do a great job. That's why when I met Damon, he was like, probably like, why do you care about me? <laughs> and I was like, I watch you in the bonus features. That's why. <laughs> But yeah, he comes across a, a wall that's just been like put through so much concrete. And what they were saying on the commentary is that they tried to make it um, very Chernobyl-esque. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. okay. That makes sense. And then um, apparently it was Matt's idea to have the key start pulling. Oh, cool. Yeah. But so. we don't claim him. <laughs> Although I must say he does a good job sometimes. And this episode is one of the times he does a really great job, I think. I mean, he does do a good job. It's just like he would do a better job as a human if he didn't harass women on buses. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, that's fair. Yeah. So yeah, Jack just starts to feel like he's being watched. And that's when the music starts playing again. And I love the music plays from where it left off uh, earlier in the episode. And the lights turn on and... You know, he comes to the computer room and he's like about to press execute and they're like, stop, don't do that. But like, we, I, I don't know. 
Of all it. the like buttons that I could pick on a keyboard to press in a secret underground room, I don't know if I'd pick execute. Yeah. I'd <laughs> be like, pass. Exterminate. No. <laughs> Just a button hot take for you. Yeah. I love um, the that scene is so cool, though, because that's their, like I was sort of saying before we talk about the sets three hours ago, that um, that, <laughs> that moment where like seeing seeing the unbelievable weirdness of that space from Jack's point of view, like like the the weird like blinking computer consoles and that crazy domed ceiling yeah. um, and and how that sort of like very, you know, antiquated and kind of unprepossessing looking computer monitor clearly seems to be like imbued with this extreme significance. Like it's such a magnificently bananas set. And, and the rest of the hatch, not bunker, I'm learning, um, <laughs> being, you know, kind of like a place where somebody lives and having that kind of like, you know, mid-century modern bachelor apartment vibe to it makes this part of it just exceptionally extra weird like the the geodome itself you're like what the hell is this yeah Yeah. and like the the atmosphere between the beginning of the episode when you're in the hatch and the end of the episode when you're in the hatch is Mm -hmm. crazy and shout out to jacchino for the music thank you yes Yes, the music's great. Giacchino did the music to Jurassic World, and I just want to say for the record that the greatest track name ever written is As the Jurassic World Turns. <laughs> That's the funniest thing I've ever heard. He's the best. I love him. I love his crap when he does all this stupid, <laughs> stupid name garbage. He's the worst. But like, <laughs> the Booneral? That's hilarious. <laughs> The, the Boonerol? He's so good. I love, I love Giacchino. And like, shout out to Giacchino for doing like most of the recent Pixar films. He did Up, he did Inside Out, he just recently did Coco. That's nuts. He's so good. I love Giacchino. Anyway. I, I like that like when you're deep into nerdery, you have like favorite composers and like you love seeing them go on to do like bigger <laughs> things. Like seeing like Bear McCreary just like oh, yeah. skyrocket after BSG. I love Bear McCreary. Yeah. Like, I just recently watched Coco for the first time, and on my Snapchat, I was like, hold up, the composer in this scene is modeled after Michael Giacchino, and then I I Googled it, and I was like, I'm right, I know what Michael Giacchino looks like, (laughs) thank you for the Easter egg. I can't believe you were that deep in there that you figured that out. That's adorable and amazing. (laughs) I was like, I see those blue glasses, I know that's Michael Giacchino, anyway, time for to stop gushing about Michael Giacchino, we'll do it again next time. He's like, where's Kate? And there's a gun at Locke's head but Locke is like super chill about it for some reason and he's like Jack drop the gun or I'm gonna heck and kill Locke and Jack's kind of like I don't really know how to feel right now <laughs> <laughs> like that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world <laughs> um Desmond fires the gun off yonder and he's like well is this your destiny Locke and I'm like can you chill out <laughs> like as if Locke is like yes I wanted to be here with a gun to my head right. thanks everything's going Great. according to plan <laughs> What you were talking about, Locke? Is this your destiny? All roads lead here. Jack, calm down. Lower your gun, or I'll blow his damned head off, brother! You. 
So then Desmond says... Also, I like that Des is in an airtight thing, and he's like, yes, I will fire this gun. It will do nothing. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and so he says, brother, and he goes, oh, you. And, like, my thing is it's just like... Because he's never heard another Scottish person say that word, apparently. <laughs> it's just been such a long time since the last time he saw Desmond. Like, he went through his... He, he did the thing. He did the... He sort of did the surgery on Sarah. Then he and Sarah fell in love. They got married. They fell apart. They divorced. It's been a while. Then he got on the plane and it's been a month since they've been on the island. And he remembers this one Scottish dude who says brother. Well, okay. But, but don't you think that maybe that's because that moment, like because of what happened with Sarah, like, Oh, was really important. Like that was the turning point. Like the Desmond was right about the miracle. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think ooh, it changed ooh, his life. I yeah. have my cannon. Ooh. Oh, wait. Mm, I have thoughts now. Cause like my first thought just now was like, oh, what if Jack like believes that like Desmond was this kind of like magic leprechaun <laughs> from Scotland <laughs> who's like, oh, what if it's a miracle? And then it happened and he's like, oh my God, he's magic. And then I was like, he's a man of science. What are you talking about? He absolutely doesn't believe that. <laughs> yeah, and also like every every Scottish person ever is very offended. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because leprechauns are supposed to be Irish. <laughs> yeah, I know, but it's okay because I'm Scottish and Irish, so I'll be unoffended for all of us. Cool, I'm Norwegian. <laughs> I'm Polish. Well, cool. We're also white. Both of those things make. <laughs> <laughs> That just broke me. Oh my god. <laughs> that just happened. <laughs> it's really annoying when Robin's really, really funny because then I can't roast her pretty. She's, she's so funny. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, thanks for the reality check. Continue. <laughs> um, uh, did you guys want to talk about anything else on the island? Um, let me look at my notes. I think we might have covered it um oh cool hey we'll we'll do light and dark later right yes yeah okay then yeah i'm good flashbacks i love these flashbacks i have so many good things to say about these flashbacks are you guys ready to flash it back let's do it (laughs) flash okay so um (laughs) sarah comes into the operating room female late 20s no id that's my first thing is they're like was she driving yes but she didn't have any id how you gotta drive with your driver's license sarah you're just mad because she was being irresponsible i mean yeah i i have driven without my driver's license multiple times Sometimes you just have your phone with you. I did that a couple days ago and I was, as soon as I got out of like, I got like far enough away to have it be like, no, you can't turn back. And I was like, oh my God. Okay. You know what? I've never been pulled over. Like I can just, all I'm doing is driving the staples and picking up something for my mom and everything will be (laughs) fine as long as I can get home. And I don't like, I never break the law. So whatever. And of course I get down the road and they're like, oh, there's been an accident. There are police cars everywhere. And I was like, this is my nightmare. I think this is the universe being like, now you will never forget get your driver's license and i will not <laughs> i don't actually know how to drive but i do have night yeah i was gonna say I have nightmares occasionally that like i'm in a situation where like i have to drive a car for some like some like emergency reason and i and i can only sort of kind of figure out how to do it and i'm simultaneously terrified of like getting into an accident but also of being like caught by like a cop being someone who like doesn't know how to drive and shouldn't be driving and there's like a lot of anxiety yeah. Yes. I used to have those. I used to have those for sure. Claire's gay and can't drive because she just leans real far into the stereotype. Also bad at math. 
<laughs> you hit the freaking trifecta. <laughs> They're also saying that the jaws of life had to be used on Adam. Ooh. So Adam is important because he is Shannon's father. That's oh, right. I, I knew. I was like, who is? That. Like, I, I remember that the other person who died in the car crash was somebody who came into a different story. And I was like, God, I, who is it? It was making me crazy. I could not remember. Thank you. Yeah, yeah Adam Rutherford. And so, something that was said on Lostpedia is that every time that there's a Jack-centric episode that Sarah is in, one of Shannon's relatives dies. Really? Aww. I mean... After this, it doesn't happen. <laughs> but uh, two episodes in a row, like Do No Harm was a Jack episode that Sarah was in for the first time mm. and Boone died. And then this oh. one, Jack's, Jack episode, Sarah's in, her dad dies. So, oh. yikes. Um, and this definitely comes back in uh, Shannon's episode yeah. pretty quickly here. But um, there's this intern who's like, hey, I already called your dad. And he's like, okay, thanks, uh, um, Brandon. And... Um, <laughs> and Later, he's like, okay, well, um, yeah, I can't do both. So, like, you do that one. And he's like, oh, I, I can't do that. That's a you thing. And Jack's like, you're forcing me to choose now. This I mean, is not a thing I want to do. Yeah, I was going to say, like, it's, it's your job, but Yeah, I mean, it's sad. Yeah, um, but it's still your job. Yeah, so the tire blew. It, she went over the divider and hit the SUV, the, and she was driving alone. So, so it was her. I mean, her tire blew, but it was her fault. And that's why she's so messed up by the fact that she, like, asks how he's doing and he passed away. Oh, and did we, did we collect that he died at 8.15? At 8.15 a.m. Yep. <gasps> Claire got one. Congratulations <laughs> to me. I'm really proud of you. <laughs> Thank you. And um, so, yeah, he has to make the decision. And, yeah, Adam dies. And Sarah says that she needs to dance at her wedding. Oh, it hurts. But also, she we know that she does, so it's okay. Yeah, she does. Yeah. So in the next scene, Sarah wakes up and she asks about Adam. And yeah, Jack says, yeah, he died in the ER. And like, oh, okay, can we just give snaps for Julie Bowen, please? Oh my, she's so good. The fact that she well, only has like a smaller role in this show is kind of mind blowing. Yeah, to me. she's yeah. so good, and she and it's all like in this episode in particular. So much of what she does is these incredibly tight close ups on her like bruised and mm-hmm. banged up face, and so it's like yep. the subtlety of her facial expressions is fantastic. Yeah, and she's almost always expressing like the hardest emotions, mm-hmm. like anguish and sadness, and like you know, resigned acceptance that she'll never walk again. Like they gave her such a heavy Mm. load to carry and she managed it. Yeah. She's so good. And so there's just like, you know, the single tear and you're like, Oh, please. Yeah. Oh God. I know it hurts. And he says, your back is broken and you'll probably be paralyzed forever. And she just goes, Oh, like with that one word, what a neat way to find that out with that one letter. Oof. Oh, she's so good. What's happened to me? You have a fracture dislocation of your thoracic lumbar spine with multiple crushed vertebrae. Your back is broken. Your spleen is ruptured and bleeding into your abdomen and that has to be stopped. I'm going to perform surgery and repair as much damage as possible, but even the most optimistic result puts the likelihood of retaining any feeling or mobility anywhere below the waist at extremely unlikely. And so Christian's like, hey, can I talk to you? <laughs> hey, oh, bud. 
That was bad. That was not good. Did you miss the part in school where you were supposed to be nice to the other kids? And he's like, oh, dad, what did I do wrong? And he's like, oh, what? No, you didn't do anything wrong. And he's like, no, I did. What? And he's like, well, now that you mention it, you suck. <laughs> that was bad. <laughs> that was really bad. Um, Like, the thing is that it's just like by saying things like that to people, like you could send them into a depression. Like yeah. you could oh, yeah. like mess them up by doing by saying things like that to them. Yeah. And like psychologically, like if, if you lose the strength to fight, then right, like her, what's the point her will to recover is a huge factor in whether or not she's actually going to recover. You know, like like exactly. like it's not like not to be all kind of like woo woo about it, but like it really like like scientifically like it is a it's a significant piece of it. And I what I like about that little moment yeah. is it's like, you know, we we get there's so little positive Christian content in yeah. in this show. But but I do think that it's I think it's important that we get, you know, at least just this one moment to to understand like why he's such a good doctor. You know, like what is the thing that makes yeah. Christian Shepherd like the top of his game to such a degree that his son has this sort of like desperate desire to like overcompensate and like live up to his dad's standards. Like we know a lot already about why he's sort of like a really messed up inadequate father, you know, like and mm-hmm. why their relationship is a disaster. But I think, I think it's really important that we get a little touch point of something that like, that he understands about how their job works because he's been doing it for such a long time because he's sort of older and wiser um, and more seasoned that Jack, who's sort of like, you know, young and very black and white and very like trying so hard, you know, and they're like in his head that Jack just doesn't understand yet, you know, and it's both an important piece of being a doctor and also just like a thing about human nature that we see is a huge struggle for Jack. So I actually liked, I like that reversal of a moment where you're sort of unquestioningly on Christian's side of the conversation here, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and also, like, this moment with Jack is, like, one of the moments when I think this this line that he has really encompasses who Jack is as a person, at least in the beginning, the beginning seasons. Like, and when they have moments like this, I almost start crying just because I think, like, like this is who he is. Like, this, and he's so earnest in it. He says, you want me to, to lie to them? That's false. You might want to try handing out some hope every once in a while. Even if there's a 99% probability that they're utterly, hopelessly screwed, folks are much more inclined to hear that 1% chance that things are going to be okay. Her spine's crushed. I tell her that everything's going to be okay. That's false hope, Dad. But maybe, maybe. But it's still hope. And I'm like, this man, he's so sure that, that what he's doing is morally correct when it's mm-hmm. really like if you veer off and you and you twist the truth a little bit, it's kinder, but he doesn't understand. Yeah. Well, and I think Christian's point is like, you don't actually know that it's not true. You just know that it's unlikely, but you don't actually like, like Jack doesn't actually know that mm-hmm. it's not going to be okay any more than Christian, you know, knows, quote unquote, that it is going to be okay. Yeah. What Christian knows is that like hope is an ins- essential component of like human resilience. And, and Jack doesn't actually have like, you know, he, he knows that it's like supremely unlikely based on the kind of injury that she has that she'll recover. 
you know, or at least recover fully. But he doesn't, but like, he's also kind of mistaking pretty sure for 100%. You know, like he's yeah. he's yeah. just, he's like, there's just, nope, there's absolutely no possibility that this could be true. And kind of shutting off any alternate possibilities. And and it's like all Christian is saying is like that, that 0.00001% chance is actually hugely important. Mm-hmm. I have that's that's all someone needs to mm-hmm. keep going. I have a question. Do you guys think that this scene is out of character for Christian? Yes. Yeah. I I don't know. I think um I mean I think the thing that's really important to to remember about Christian particularly I think at this at this point in in the story is like almost everything that we know about who he is as a person is from Jack's perspective, it's sort of given to us in terms of its mm-hmm. impact on Jack and focused on the ways that he has damaged Jack as a person by by the things about Christian that are deeply, deeply, deeply messed up, of which there are many. Yeah. But he also, like, he got to be as good as he is for a reason, you know? Like, he got to the top of the game becoming this doctor that, like, like, he, like Christian is good at his job. He's, like, objectively good at this job, you know? And... And I think that I think getting to see a moment where we understand how and why he's good at it and how and how yeah. and why Jack kind of developed this inferiority complex where he knows that there are things that come easily to Christian that don't come easily to Jack. And that's partly why Jack like hustles so hard and is like always like has to kind of like keep moving and try, try, try. You know, I I think I don't know. I mean, I, I it's it's. I guess it's it's out of character in that it doesn't match anything else of Christian that we've seen yet and matches yeah. very little of anything else we ever see from Christian again. But I also do think that it makes psychological sense. I also think, mm-hmm. I think it's potentially a, a way out that Christian probably uses to like, you know, keep himself being popular and well-liked by delivering the good news. You know, like I, I think it's also a trait that maybe has a dark side to it for Christian like making somebody else come in and give the bad news later so he can give the more positive spin. And then he's the doctor that you were like, Oh, Christian Shepard is like so amazing. So, so I think it's something that I could see both made him great at his job. And also that like the dark side of Christian is capable of abusing to sort of feed his ego and maintain his popularity and, and, and feel, you know, like loved and adored and looked up to by people. But I think it, I think it makes sense that there are traits in him that made him exceptional at this job that cause Jack to feel like inadequate, like both like inadequate in his dad's shadow and also so frustrated by his dad's failings at the same time. Does that make sense? And that, and that you can see here that Christian values his reputation over Jack's Oh, basically just over Jack as a person, because if Jack doesn't deliver the news properly, then that will get back and reflect on Christian in some way as well. Right. Yeah. Like it's not, it's like his, his motivations, like what he says to Jack is correct and important. Yes. And also Christian always has an agenda, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and like it, his agenda doesn't make the sentiment of what he's saying any less valid or important. Right. It just means that like, I, I think knowing what we know about who he is as a person about their relationship, that it is, it's instructive to think about like, why, like, you know, is Christian just being like, Hey, make this woman's life a little easier and help her fight through this, you know, potential situation by giving her some hope that will potentially make her stronger. Or is it also like, like you said, like, please don't make me look bad or make our family look bad by like making an injured girl cry. (laughs) Ooh, I think like, 
Hmm. I'm wondering if maybe like we only see the bad parts of Christian because that's the part that's interesting. Like, like seeing this, if this is Christian, I like to think that this is the Christian that we don't see and that like uh-huh. maybe yeah. Jack's dad wasn't garbage all the time and like sometimes he had like one nice thing to say occasionally and so that almost makes me feel better about Jack's childhood yeah I mean I don't I don't think that anybody I don't think anybody is all good or all bad all the time and I think that it would be really I think it would be really difficult to make us to make us care about this family if it was like, you know, like Christian, Christian Shepherd is unredeemably bad and terrible and everything about him is bad and terrible. And every single thing that he did for his son is bad and terrible. Then it's like, well, then I'm not interested so much, but if it's yeah, like, exactly. if it's like deeply messed up and complicated and also sort of codependent, like they're, they work together and their father and son and Christian's sense of himself as a doctor and a father is so tied up in how, well, everyone thinks Jack is doing. So there's a lot of like male ego in that, but also like genuine, like pride and wanting his son to like be successful, which is, I mean, spoilery, but like, you know, like things that happen later that like, like Christian has the capacity to be wounded by things that Jack does to him. Like, so he's not, he's not all, I don't think he's all bad or all heartless. I think that we see, we see him through Jack's perspective and he's had incredibly destructive impact on Jack. Not always, like not intentionally um, and not even knowingly, but he just, he has. So that's kind of our lens, you know, like our lens of all these, these characters exist in flashbacks and we're seeing them through like the way the character whose flashback it is sees them. So that's what we see. We don't see, Mm -hmm. like we don't have any access point for who Christian is when Jack's not there. Yeah. Yeah, we, we don't get to see the multifaceted like parts of Christian. Like we just see Christian as Jack's mm-hmm. father. Yeah. And sometimes we see Christian in other people's flashbacks. Like we saw him in Sawyer's flashback last season and we'll see him in a couple other flashbacks um, coming. But but I, I don't know if, if he's ever this kind again. I don't think he is. Like I would say almost in like a certain... I think this is like his one soft moment. A certain character's flashback... Um, <laughs> I don't know how to explain yeah, that yeah. without being spoilery, but somebody who, uh, um, he ends up, ah, never mind, never mind, I can't, yeah. I don't know. Is it? Oh, that's a good story, Robin. So this is Kevin. We need to Kevin talk about Kevin. Sarah's current fiance. And I would really like to talk about Sarah and the men in her life a little bit more in the spoiler section. But yes. um, yeah, this is the only time we see Kevin. And Jack is saying, you know, it's a 10 to 12 hour surgery. Like, I don't really know how it's going to go. And Kevin's saying like, um, she was on her way for a dress fitting and to look at tablecloths and how stupid is that, that, you know, this happened at that point. The wedding is eight months away. Mm-hmm. Eight. Oh, that's a number. That's a number. Yep. And Sarah's going to have to go through physical therapy and like, and might need professional help for the rest of her life. And he's like, so we can't have sex. So she can't even go to the bathroom by herself. And I'm like, buddy. Mm-mm. <laughs> so- like, oh, uh, so you don't really yeah. love her. Yeah. That's fine. Well, so I I have I have very complicated feelings about Kevin. Um okay. so yes. so here's the thing. So I think I I I will say it is clear, I think, in the narrative, like what we're supposed to think about Kevin is very clear. I think the fact like yeah. the 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 fact that the the things that he sort of his two kind of first primary questions are are both like 
am I going to be able to like bone my wife? Um, bone! And, and also like, bone! and well, yes. And also, <laughs> and also asking like, am I going to have to be the person who does like the gross stuff? You know, like yeah. those are, those are not questions that cast Kevin in a particularly sympathetic light. I will yeah. say speaking as a perspective of somebody who lived for three years with a parent with a terminal illness and had to take her to the bathroom and had to be a part-time caregiver and had to watch my father be a full-time caregiver. It's a unending, exhausting, life-changing undertaking. And if you're yeah. not cut out for it, first of all, I think it's I think it's better for everyone that Kevin kind of knows that and opts out now. But I also don't inherently yeah. think that that is a character flaw. Like, I don't think Kevin's a... I agree. Yeah. I don't think Kevin's a great person. Um, and I and I think that... I think I would have the same issues for like, sure. Like, I, I think it's shaded to make us be like, you know, like, like we're, we're supposed to think like she's better off without this guy. And that's definitely clear. That's definitely true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I also, I, I, I have, I have some ambivalence about presenting like, like just sort of like not even Kevin as Kevin, but like presenting like the idea of a person being like, I, I can't do that. Assuming that that means that character is a bad person. That's a, that's a place in the writing that I have, I have a little bit of an issue with it. Like I think, mm-hmm. I think yeah. Kevin as a person, it's like, yes. Oh my God. Kick him to the curb. You are so much better off. Even like, even though we know obviously that it's not like she gets like a happy fairy tale ending with Jack, but still she's better off. Like she shouldn't, she still shouldn't have married Kevin. Um, yeah. yeah. But, but I think, but I do feel like it's worth unpacking a little bit. This sort of idea that, it must automatically make you selfish or like, you know, like if, if they're going to get married and they can't have sex ever, like, I actually think that's like a fair thing for him to be like, like, that's a loss. That's a, like, that changes your whole sense of the dynamic of your relationship. If you, if that's something that you wanted and now you can't have it, like I get like that changes a lot of things. And that doesn't mean that there's nobody in the world who would be like, not be willing to go there. But also, by the way, does not necessarily mean that having a disability means that you can't be a sexual person. So like, there's that kind of trope worked in there too. This sort of assumption that like being, you know, immobile sort of makes you in some way sexless. So there's a lot of things going on. But I do feel like um, being married to somebody who like if the picture that Jack had painted initially was true, like she's going to always need to be taken to the bathroom. She's going to need to have you like bathe her and shower her. You're going to feel like you can't ever leave her alone for five minutes unless a professional caregiver has tagged in to like give you a break. Like that is, you know, like from like my mom died 10 years ago of ALS and which is, which is a progressive degenerative disease. So it was like, it got worse and worse over three years. It was not from the beginning. Like she wasn't like immediately immobilized, like, like a car accident. Um, But by the end she was. And, um, you know, and my dad works from home. He had like a, you know, a full-time from home job and he had four adult children who all lived in the same city and, you know, a huge network of neighbors and church people and friends and things like that to come in and tag in. And still like it is, exhausting it is it breaks you it is it is emotionally and physically exhausting it you know it is like so so i guess i just i feel like knowing that you know knowing that kevin is a pretty disposable character and exists mostly to make us both a like we 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 feel extra sympathy for sarah because of the fact that all of this is contextualized around a wedding that is now not going to be the wedding that she dreamed of. And then we turn around and we're like, nope, actually you're right off without this guy. So like, I get, I get why he as yeah. a character is painted the way he is. I think it, 
makes sense. And and also, you know, he has to be bad so that we're like, oh, okay, well, we don't blame Jack for taking his girl away from him. Exactly. Like he he yeah. has it has to be clear that she should have left this guy anyway, you know. Yeah. Um, for us to root for Jack kind of quote unquote saving her. Mm-hmm from you know from this situation which is normally uh like a a trope that i kind of side eye but i think in this case it's like jack's perception of himself as the person who saved sarah both physically and from this guy i think is actually part of what goes wrong in their relationship like i think so i actually think that that's sort of the idea of him like quote unquote saving her is actually really important and necessary Mm -hmm. because he like falls in love with this picture of himself as the man who saved this woman you know, mm-hmm. more than he is like, you know, like in love with like her, the actual human woman. Um, so I, so I get that Kevin serves a similar function to to the physical injury as like, a, you know, a thing that she's kind of lifted up out of by him crashing into her life. Um, I just think that there are there is there is more to unpack, I think, in the idea of what it would be like to be Kevin in that moment than the show necessarily yeah. gives space to. And I, I definitely agree. I don't think that that Kevin is like a bad person, but I think like there's a time and a place to ask those questions. And the fact that those are his like first questions is really telling. Like you're 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 yeah. asking this to a to a I mean, you know, he's the doctor, but like a stranger that you've just met. And it's like when he says she'll need professional care, like she won't be able to go to the bathroom by herself, that's kind of a thing where you like go home and you think about it rather than like the face yeah. the look on his face is like, oh, oh is she worth it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, he's, he definitely is like, he does, he does not come out of this looking good. No. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, I, I think it, it does someone an an injustice to assume they're a bad person because they can't handle caretaking Mm -hmm. because caretaking is like, it's kind of sucks the soul out of you. So even though he sucks, like you're right. It, there's a lot more to unpack there that the show didn't really care to unpack. Yeah, I mean, I, and they didn't have time to, and that's okay. Yeah, I, and yeah, it's exactly. Totally. And and he he exists as like an ancillary piece of a story that isn't about him. It's about Sarah and Jack. Yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So it isn't. It isn't like Kevin needed his own flashback. Yeah. <laughs> Frick. <laughs> it's just just more. Whoa. Just more. I think for you know. For the audience, people watching, just to sort of, you know, to just to be aware of the fact that, like, this is a situation where, like, the show kind of fast forwards through some of the real life nuance, but in real life, these situations are exponentially more complicated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they're back in the operating room, and Sarah is getting uh, anesthetic. So she's, like, literally falling asleep <laughs> during this conversation. But she's saying, Rude. Jack... Like, come closer. I have a secret for you. And so he just has to keep getting closer. And she's like, it's okay. I know I'm not going to be dancing, but you're invited to my wedding, okay? It's so sweet. Oh, Julie Bowen. So, so so good. And I I love the way that she, like, absolves him of, like, she can tell, like, it's like, look, you feel guilty. You did the best you could. Like, this isn't, you know, she's kind of... She's kind of telling him, I think a thing that women in Jack's life are continually trying to tell him, like, everything's not on you all the time, guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And 
like, I know we don't claim Matthew Fox, but, like, <laughs> he's so good in this episode. Like, he is. Yeah, yeah, no, he's good. He's so good, and, like, he can do so much with his with just his face. Like, you know, a lot of Matthew <laughs> Matthew Fox's stuff is just, like, if I yell loud, everyone will know I mean it. <laughs> but but, but in, these, in these episodes, in these moments where it's, like, someone says something to him, and he just, like, you can see it on his face. You can see him processing. Mm-hmm. And like making decisions. Yeah. Anyway, I support him in this moment. Yeah. Um, but he says, I'm gonna fix you. And she falls asleep. And all the nurses are like, Bro. Yeah. You're like, um, uh, that was a the, that was too much. The reaction shots in that moment are great. Yeah. Everyone's like, oh, this just got weird. Well, and how out of character for him, too. Like, they probably never heard him say that. They're like, Are you yeah. what what? Yeah. Who are you even? I don't know you. You feeling okay? <laughs> okay, guys. Um, we're gonna talk for a really long time about this next scene. <laughs> okay. Um, wow, we're gonna talk for a really long time. That's right. Shocking. Okay, so today we're going to meet a character named Desmond Hume. Oh my god, I love Desmond! him. Yeah, I've never heard of him before. So what's a Desmond? We're at this stadium, and I, I was, I went to the stadium when I was in Hawaii, but, but we didn't go, we weren't allowed to go inside. We just like walked around the stadium and I was like, please, <laughs> please let me in. I need to do a tour to start. Um, I'm special. But alas. So I have been in the vicinity of the stadium. Jack and Desmond are getting kind of competitive here and Jack hurts his ankle and Desmond comes over and he's like, you okay, bro? Doesn't look like he got a sprain here, but you probably won't catch up with me. And he's like, I, I, t- I wasn't trying. And he's like, okay. Okay. <laughs> oh, He's sure like, you are. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Desmond was almost a doctor once, and Jack's like, oh, funny, because I am a doctor. And Desmond gives Jack his water bottle. He's so generous and kind and sharing. He's a good person. Yeah. And I cannot wait for the further spoiler section so that we can talk about what happens in the timeline right before the scene God. in Desmond's perspective. Right. Like there's there's so much like I there's so little we can actually say about Desmond yet. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And so he's like the reason why I'm running is because I'm training for a race around the world, which is very important. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. this part's weird is he's just like, "So why are you running?" and he's like, "Oh, I don't know." And Desmond's like, "Oh, it's a it's a girl." And he's like, "No, it's a patient." And he's like, Oh, it's a girl patient. patient. And I'm like, I'm like, when would Desmond say this? Why is this earliest to early 2000s? They don't know this man. I loved it. I, I felt like it's such a, and again, like not to get too spoilery, but I, I love, (laughs) I love that Desmond is immediately introduced to us as a extremely romantic gossip. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was just going to say, he's just a big old gossip. I actually, I, I feel like, um, I think that that the the romanticism and the like let's just like sit here on this stoop and like talk about girls like it yeah. is <laughs> in a way I actually feel like that tracks really beautifully with some of what we learn about him later like there's and there's there's a lot of facets to him like the more you kind of get to know about Desmond's backstory there's sort of there's so many different sort of versions of him there's so many different kind of Desmond's that he's been at varying points in his life mm-hmm. but I feel like that um that sort of uh philosophical optimistic sense of romanticism like I could see him being somebody who's like oh I'm a, a random stranger in girl trouble you know, and, you know, and I'm going to like 
I'm going to help him on his like quest to get this girl. Like I, it feels like it tracks to me and and it makes him immediately yeah. so likable. I think it also serves a really important function as like the widest possible contrast between past Desmond and present Desmond we could possibly get. Mm. True, true. Yeah. That's a good point. And of course, I can't put this on the writers or on Desmond or, you know, it's just a property of the time, but I, I like watch it and I'm like, heteronormative, get rid of it. Uh, and there's that. Yep. <laughs> yeah. She's right, you know. <laughs> but I'm like, you know, it's been a while, so it's fine. But he's like, oh, what's her name? Oh, her name's Sarah. He's like, okay, well, what did you do to her? And he's like, what? I just made a promise that I couldn't keep and I failed. And so, I mean, that's what I did. And he's like, okay, well, what if, what if it did work? It didn't. Okay, but what if it did? And he's like, dude, do you know what facts are? (laughs) (laughs) It's infuriating that Desmond was right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so he's like, well, that would be a miracle. You don't believe in miracles? And Jack's like, (laughs) nope. No, sure don't. What if you did fix it? I didn't. What if you did? (laughs) You don't know what you're talking about, man. I don't. Why not? Because with her situation, that would be a miracle rather Uh, and you don't believe in miracles (laughs) and he's like well here's my advice lift it up and he's like what and he's like your ankle and jack's like oh okay (laughs) he's like was that supposed to mean something deeper or what (laughs) i still don't know well i to me God, this is so hard to talk about without giving any spoilers. I will yeah. say, I, I, so, um, as a religious person, when somebody says lift it up, the, the general sense in which they mean that is sort of like, like hand over that problem to God, like, like remove mm. from yourself the oh. burden of stressing about that thing because it's out of your hands. It's in God's hands. So in like lift it up, like your, your, um, sort of, Taking taking the heat off of yourself and and you know it's sort of like when people say like let go and let God which is dopey but it's this equivalent kind of thing <laughs> you know okay I didn't know that was actually a thing and we learn that Desmond is a religious man yeah I don't so I don't, it makes sense yeah so that was I was I was not sure if we were if I was trying to talk around that but yeah but so so yeah, I guess sure. so so our kind of our sense of like the the handful of concrete facts about Desmond that I think that we kind of glean from this interaction are that he is somebody who is, who is religious and or spiritual in some way from the way that he talks about miracles. So he says, lift it up. And also that he's very sentimental and, and just, he's soft. kind of like, yeah, like one wants everyone to like find love, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think all those things are definitely like the more we learn about who he is, how he got to this point, how he ended up in this stadium, what happens after, you know, I think that all tracks, but I, I, so to me, the, that lifted up moment, you know, it, it works both as a, like, like you said, like he's saying something where Jack's kind of like, is that, is that deep? Or are you like giving me like, like, yeah. like what, you know, um, and him being like, no, like, this is a, like, we're, I'm speaking to you very practically, but I think that it also, um, it, on that kind of other sort of interpretation level, it works as like another, another person in Jack's life who is kind of, um, trying to get him to let go of his control freak nature. Mm-hmm. And like, if Desmond could clock that from knowing Jack for like thirty seconds, right? Well, I think I think he figures it out just from the way he's running. You know, like I think, yeah, exactly. 
I think a lot of I think a lot of who Jack is as a person and the way he goes through life is evident to Desmond just from like watching him exercising, which is which is a fascinating little like insight into how observant Desmond is as a person. And we see that later as he begins to engage more with other characters too, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is so and- hard. There's so much I can't say. <laughs> yeah. You're like other characters. Hmm, who could they be? Yeah. I was like, we're going to talk forever. And then I'm like, we can't say anything. We yeah. can't say anything. Um, but then he says, see another life, brother. And a meme was born <laughs> that to this day still lives. And, and also like, I mean, I think even if I didn't come into this episode knowing like that's kind of the iconic, like that's mm-hmm. the Desmond line. Um, it's a, extraordinary kind of transition moment like it's Mm -hmm. like it's a as a as sort of a parting line from him and then segueing into when like that that literally happened (laughs) yeah (laughs) that they he literally did they literally meet another left it's like this is like it's a yeah it's so it's so good it's such a good it's such a good sort of like foreshadowing little thing I'm like trying so hard not to like say anything else. Mm, Yes, interesting. What a good point Claire has that we cannot discuss. (laughs) This scene is probably my favorite scene in any Jack flashback of all time. I think it's so good. Why? Oh, the Desmond one? No, the one with Sarah. Oh, yeah. (gasps) Yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, because it's so emotional. It's so good. I wish that I had remembered this scene when I was in film school. Because when we were in film school, they were like, pick scenes from things and bring them in and we'll do them. And now, like, rewatching the scene, I'm like, who will do this with me? <laughs> Please, someone do this scene with me. Literally, but when anyone asks you to pick anything favorite, you suddenly forget everything yeah. you've ever liked. <laughs> And I already did something from Lost, so they were probably like, okay, dial it back. And I'm like, you don't know me. I will not. (laughs) Like, this really, like, Lost. Okay, so Sarah wakes up, and she's like, am I alive? And he's like, no, it's me, Dumbledore, at the end of Deathly Hallows. Um, Which isn't out yet, I guess, when it it was... Oh my god, it probably... No, it wasn't. (gasps) It's Um, not... Jack doesn't know about Dumbledore. <laughs> oh my god. Yes, Jack. we've already had this conversation Jack about how so Sawyer hasn't read at the ending of Harry Potter. That's why I think Sawyer wants to get yeah. back to the mainland so bad is because he doesn't yeah. know how Harry Potter ends. Um, and so she's like, okay, well, you smell. And he's like, okay, well, I mean, I showered, but I get, like, I just wanted to come down. And she's like, it smells like you ran a really, like, far. <laughs> and I'm like, what is this? Okay. And so you disgust me. <laughs> he's like, I did a tour to Stad, which it means tour of the stadium. And she's like, why would you want to do that? And he says, um, I'm intense. And I'm like, wow, thank you. You also shop at Hot Topic. <laughs> I'm intense. I'm just like, I'm weird. I'm a weirdo. I'm weird. I'm a weirdo. Have you ever seen me with a stupid hat on? That's weird. That's weird. So that's a Riverdale <laughs> meme for people who don't know, but you should really look it up because it's the funniest. It's so stupid. Scene that's ever been committed to film that is meant I'm to be weird. serious. <laughs> I'm a weirdo. Have you ever seen me with a stupid hat on? That's weird. That's weird. Um, my favorite thing is going into Hot Topic and seeing merch that says, I'm a weirdo. Oh my God. Yeah, I'm weird. I'm a weirdo. Oh, it's so funny. Okay. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to walk. It's like walking around with Joker merchandise on. I'm like, what year are you from? <laughs> but Jack saying the phrase, I'm intense, like, it's just the supreme understatement of the world. Yeah, because they don't even have tents on the beach. <laughs> I mean, they will. <sighs> I broke myself with that one. Wow. I didn't like it. Yo, I go really unappreciated on this podcast. Well... Examine that emotion. 
Anyway, I'm going to go back to watching this cat spin on so, a Roomba. So whatever. Okay. So she's like, did you finish doing your stare thing? And he's like, no, I hurt my ankle. And this is one of my, this is probably my favorite moment. It's my, it's my favorite line award. But like, this is my favorite moment in the scene and in the episode is when he says, oh, I hurt my ankle. And she goes, oh, that sucks for you. <laughs> like, Ooh, oh, yeah. It's so good. <laughs> did, did that hurt? Man, must be. Must suck. Sorry. Oh, ouch. It's such a great, like, look at, like, moment for her as a character. You know, like, she's, mm-hmm. she's been, she's so, she's in kind of inherently a passive position. Mm-hmm. She's very much sort of like a figure of, like, sympathy. Um, and she's lying down all episode. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he has all the action and she's just sort of, like, reactive. So I loved getting a little, sort of sneak peek it's just like like in a in different circumstances where she wasn't so physically vulnerable it's like this woman like she can totally take what you're dishing out you know like she's like she's tough and she's feisty and it's just such a perfect little like insight into like who she would be as a person if we met her in different circumstances than this she's just like yeah well you know what i am not doing right now feeling bad for you yeah <laughs> i'm doing some thinking over here yeah that's new Okay, so after this, she says, hey, do you know where Kevin is, my fiancé? And he goes, oh, yeah, he's not here. And she goes, okay, well, I mean, he'll show up. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm sure he'll show up. And I feel like if I was, like, a huge Jack and Sarah shipper, even though, like, you know, you know that it's, like, you know, doesn't end well. But you do know that they get married. And, like, when is the beginning of their real, like, relationship? And, like, does Jack think, like, during his conversation with Kevin, is he thinking, like, she deserves better? Like, when does he decide that he likes Sarah? Like, is it during this moment? And, and like, are is she, like, does she have this feeling where it's, like, that sucks for you? And they kind of have, like, a moment or something. And she's, like, anyway, I'm engaged. Ha, ha, me. See, I... I think I I did not necessarily feel like at this point that either of them was kind of looking at the other like overtly mm-hmm. romantically. I yeah. so to me I I felt like like when she asks that to me it felt like there's a part of her that kind of already knows because she knows Kevin, yes. you know, like that she's she's already figured yeah. out like Kevin has bolted and I'm going to see if I can get you to admit that to me. Mm. And okay, you're not, you're too nice. But it's like, I, I felt like a spouse. So she, she knows she's trying to kind of get the lay of the land. And I think that at this point in their relationship, I think he, like, he's definitely, he's like, he's hooked on her. Like he, like she's qualitatively different than other patients that he's had. But I don't necessarily know that it's like, like a love at first sight thing. I think that it's like, for some reason she pings some thing in him where it's like, I'm going to be the person who saves yeah. you. And it's more like he's in love with that picture of himself as that guy. Right. That is absolutely cr- And that's like their whole relationship. Right. Is- yeah. And that becomes yeah. a thing that like, that, that, they circle back around multiple times is it's like Jack's perception of who Jack is does not align with her experience in their marriage. It's totally true. And even later when she doesn't need him to save her anymore, he's still trying to save her. And she's right. like, we've moved past that. And that's why it doesn't work out. Yes. Yes. Yep. Yeah, exactly. That he can't, he can't stop 
needing to save her, needing to fix something because just kind of like the day to day. And I think that's partly why, like why he thrives on the Island. Like he, the day to day of just getting up and going to work and being a normal person doesn't leave him with like, you know, like he's sort of been on a quest to like find a way to be a hero on some level, I think his whole life. And the Island gives you that sort of every day because it's so full of sort of extreme Mm -hmm. circumstances, but it's like Jack trying to be a hero, Jack needing to like save, people needing to you know be looked at with adoration and you know reverence and things like that you know i i think i think that makes it like i think that feels like love at a certain Mm -hmm. point you know between him and 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 her um but i don't think that it is here i don't think that it's him either of them are sort of like sussing each other out as a romantic partner yet and i you know this this kind of reminds me of like that one chapter of harry potter where they're like oh well there are things you can go through without like and and you have to stay friends and knocking out a mountain troll is one of them you know and it's like you've been through this huge Mm -hmm. thing together that's like it's not like you can just be like okay well see ya exactly yeah yeah like they're they're connected on this super deep level and especially then after like then when 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 we realized that like the Desmond was right and that he actually did save her like that kind of clicking into gear where it's like, yeah, you could never like, he didn't believe in miracles and then he got a miracle. Of course he remembers Desmond for the rest of his life. Of course he convinced himself that he was in love with this woman, you know? It's a turning point in his life where he gets the chance to become the man he wants Mm -hmm. to be. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so he's like, anyway, Sarah, like, I'm super sorry, but like, I wasn't able to fix you. And I don't know, I shouldn't have promised you that. I'm really sorry. And she's like, okay, is this a joke? And he's like, literally, no, why would I be kidding? <laughs> Sarah, the, the damage to your back was extensive. I did everything that I could, but your spinal column, I just... You're going to be paralyzed from the waist down for the rest of your life. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry, Sarah. You're yanking my chain, right? No. She can wiggle her toes and she can feel everything. And I'm like, logistically, how did this happen? But also cool. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I don't know the science behind yeah. it, but I like it. Yeah, that occurred to me too. <laughs> I was like, isn't your spine broken? <laughs> but like, it also reminds me like, of like pilot Jack is like, oh, the nerves spilled out of her like angel hair pasta. And then like, I counted to five and then I sewed her up and she was good. And I was like, buddy, I don't know. I don't know. Uh- <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> but I do, I mean, I, I will say, I think I think the reason that I buy it is because by this point in the show, we have already been, like, we've, we've, we've agreed to suspend our disbelief in some very significant ways. And this is a show, like, this is a show that believes in kind of, I don't know, like, magical realism is quite the right word. But, like, but like there are things that happen in this show for which no scientific explanation is mm-hmm. ever given. Yeah. 
And and so I so I feel like if the show wants us to believe that part like a piece of the path of Jack's life is that an actual miracle was given to him in this moment because that propelled his life in a particular direction that made other future things happen that needed to happen. That actually tracks perfectly well mm-hmm. with the whole show. It doesn't yeah. it doesn't track necessarily with with, you know, many people's interpretation of how life yeah. works. <laughs> but I'm like, yeah, no, I, that's how the show works. It's how the show works. Yeah. I buy it. You know? Yeah. I'm Catholic. I'm in. <laughs> um, do you guys want to move on to our segments? Yes. All right. So now it's time for our segments. The first segment is our favorite line awards. So my favorite line award this episode goes to Sarah for... That sucks for you. Oof. <laughs> I like I like the, the roastness yeah. level of that. And I want to give an honorable mention to Jack for... I'm intense. <laughs> oh... <laughs> I cannot like what a the fact what that a romance that came out of his mouth like they wrote that who who wrote this Damon Damon was like this will be funny like I know <laughs> oh it's so good I think it's funnier if Damon thought it was like a deep line <laughs> and mine goes to Desmond obviously for well, good luck brother see you in another life yeah I mean duh duh yeah uh, and mine goes to almost. Every single line that Hurley has in that interchange with Jack, but in particularly... The chicken joint that I worked at got hit by a meteor? Well, actually meteor, right? Actually, meteor, right? <laughs> like, I love that he had to, like, make a correction and be like, right. oh, actually, it was a meteor, Like, that's that's the piece that needs to be clarified. Yeah. Like, like yeah. The, the thing that actually needs further explanation is, like, oh, just to be super specific about what kind of meteor. Like, I just, it's so classically Hurley that that's the piece that he'd be like, well, actually, I should elaborate. Probably here. <laughs> over here. Well, like, exactly. I wonder if, if he's, like, I usually just say meteor, but, like, Jack's a doctor. He's super smart. I bet he would right. know that it was a meteorite, oh. so I should probably clarify <laughs> that would be so cute if that was true uh, i hope it is let's just hit let's say it is okay i'm in love with that yeah um now let's talk about some light and dark so did you guys pick up any uh dope light and dark stuff yes um i thought that they used the 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 light in um in the hatch mm-hmm. flashing on when kate disappeared i thought it was interesting that light in this episode was so often scary yeah and like, like usually it's sort of like light, good, dark, bad, whatever. But, but this felt like light is a weapon that Desmond uses to throw off potential intruders and get the upper hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a couple different times, and so I thought that was really interesting. Just sort of that that sort of flip. Um, and I also I thought there was a lot of the the juxtaposition between like we mentioned before, like that it feels like morning in the hatch for Desmond. And then we pan upwards and realize that it's a night for everybody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Hmm. And I think my other light and dark would definitely be um, the difference between the hatch at the beginning and the end of the mm-hmm. episode. Mm. Yep. And I also like the flashback, all of these hospital things, which like arguably are like the scariest and the saddest parts of the of the um, flashbacks are like always really bright. Whereas the stadium, he's like there at night and yep. it's dark at the stadium. Mm-hmm. You're right. Um, So now we're going to do Man of Science, Man of Faith. So I'm just going to uh, mention some names and we're going to decide if they were more science or more faith this episode. So let's start with Jack. (laughs) Oh, gee, I wonder. Man of Science. Locke, Man of Faith. We know this. How about Kate? Yes. This is the one that's a little uh, debatable. I think, I feel like Kate is, 
she, I mean, she's she's often one that's kind of on the fence yeah. because she kind of she kind of shifts back and forth situationally. I would almost say more on this one, Man of Faith, only because like because she sort of chooses like she doesn't quite understand why Locke why this is so important to Locke, but she's like willing to support. Like she takes Locke's side over Jack's. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, yeah. so Hurley, definite Man yeah, of Faith. I think I so think. too. Yeah, Faith. Um, and then almost always Shannon and Saeed, I think are faith and science respectively. I think so. Yeah. 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 Um, how about mm-hmm. Charlie? He didn't do much, but, but I, I think it was, I think it was, he did, he did not put much faith at all in, um, in Rousseau and any of that story. Like I, I think, yeah. I think it was more like the sort of the, the bad version of man of science, yeah. like shooting down anything that seems implausible. Yeah, I think he's being a man of faith and trying to disguise himself as a man of science. Yeah, mm. exactly. Mm, mm. Desmond? Like Desmond is the man of faith man of, of man of faith. faith. He was ever man That's of faith. True. <laughs> and then how about Sarah? Um, I would actually say science until she's cured, mm-hmm. maybe. I don't know. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, Sarah's tricky. I, I would, yeah, I would almost say that maybe they're both, both she and Jack in that storyline are are fully men of science until that moment and then it's sort of like for for like just for a moment they're kind of both men of it they're both sort of accepting like oh wow this miraculous thing actually happened but i wonder if maybe it's more kind of inherently in her nature mm-hmm. i don't i'm yeah it's hard to clock from like other things that she's been in without anything sort of super spoilery but i yeah she's she's a hard one to pin down she may not be necessarily either or yeah. like kind of like kate she may be somebody who kind of like shifts back and forth depending on the situation right. yeah agreed now our next segment is called hurley's walkman and we got some music this episode it was make your own kind of music by mama cass which is iconic make your own kind of music it's iconic and always stuck in my head after i watch this yeah yes yep and used so effectively both in terms of like, you know, how we talked about how it sort of is like a, a what year is it misdirect at the beginning? Mm-hmm. Um, and then that kind of like retro- record scratch when the cold open turns creepy. But also then when it's used again to like throw Jack off, like the sinisterness of like when it comes back in the yeah. second time, I thought was beautiful. Like it's, it's they use it yeah. so well. Um, and fun fact, Damon chose this song because his mom used to play it while she was cleaning the house. Aww. Yeah. Oh, that's really sweet. <laughs> How many episodes since the last knockout? I don't think anyone was knocked out this episode. I mean, no, I don't think so. Well, our thing is it has to be on island to a main character, right? And killing and dying doesn't uh, count. Yeah, yeah, dying doesn't count. It's basically who got a concussion yeah. this episode, and it's no one. Yeah, because I was gonna say like, does being oh my god, and and a and a it's like Anna's anesthetized or something like that what's the word <laughs> it's like anesthesi anesthesiologist but i don't know the word is messed up so does being knocked out by drugs count i don't think so and also it wasn't on island so it doesn't matter anyway does this episode pass the bechdel test absolutely it does not uh so few do <laughs> definitely not it really doesn't so i mean yeah it's like one yeah. season that does <laughs> alas your next brit okay sorry hang on <gasps> he says, Do you hear meow. the screaming? Meow. 
Yeah. <laughs> Can you? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm. Stop screaming. Stay tuned for our segment after the outro. We'll be discussing this episode within the context of the rest of the series. Please be aware that this will be rampant with spoilers, so proceed with caution. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Our music is Terminal by Good News Tunes. We would love it if you would write us a review on iTunes. That's our new thing that we're trying to do. We've gotten some really cool reviews on our Riverdale podcast and some really cool reviews on our 100 podcasts, so we'd really love it if you would write one for this one if this happens to be your favorite one. And if you're a fan of either of those other podcasts, if you're a fan of The 100, we like to talk about that show, and we're in the middle of season five right now. things are good. Even though it's on hiatus for a week. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Well, I mean, that's why we're podcasting now, because we've got the time. Uh, And if you're a fan of Riverdale, we like to talk about that show, too. Season one's done. Season two's done. We have high hopes for season three, so check that out. We have medium hopes for season three. (laughs) I have high hopes for season three. (laughs) It's the year of Ace Jughead. I don't believe that at all. Some of us are more realistic than others. I don't believe that at all. No. You can follow the aficionados on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, YouTube, Instagram, basically everywhere, but mostly Twitter. And our Patreon is patreon.com slash theafficionados. If you like what we do here, please consider donating. We try hard and it's expensive. <laughs> we try so, hard. Uh, we do. And so if you have um, a dollar or two to spare, we would really love it if you would help us out in that respect. Um, it's um, expensive. It's expensive. I was like, and it goes right back it. into the podcast. Yeah. So I like the way Robin goes. It's expensive. It's expensive. And I don't know why. You can follow me on Twitter at Appertania, which is B-R-I-T-T-A-N-I-A with an underscore at the end. And you can follow me personally at Robin E. Jeffrey. That's R-O-B-Y-N-E-J-E-F-F-R-E-Y pretty much everywhere. Claire, thank you so much for coming on the pod. Thank you for having me. It was everything that I dreamed of and more. (laughs) Where can we find you on the internet? Um, you can find me on Twitter at, um, at Claire Willett, uh, C-L-A-I-R-E-W-I-L-L-E-T-T, is my real normal person Twitter for writing and politics things. And then at Kane and Griffin is my Twitter for just 100 fandom screaming. And at Metastation100 is the Twitter for Metastation, our podcast. Yay! Why would you undersell your fandom Twitter as being just about the hundred? You once had a really hot take about friends. No, 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 we don't. We don't, we don't speak of the dark year. year. We only speak of the dark year. The blight. Uh, The blight. Dope. Next episode is 202 Adrift. And we're going to be having Drew, who is at the Drew Koenig on. Um, he is the... Koenig. No, no. It, I checked his Twitter. It says Koenig and not Koenig. It literally says that. No way. That's what it said on his, in his Twitter bio. I was going to be so smug and proud that I knew how to pronounce that word. I know how to pronounce, how to pronounce it. And that's why I checked. Well, I guess. She's a smart fish. She is a smart fish. So he is the co-host of another podcast called The Lost Cause Pod. And we don't know him personally, but he said he wanted to come on the pod. So we're really excited to have him for next episode. Okay, love you. Bye. Okay, love you. Bye. Okay, love you. Bye. (laughs) Spoilers, spoilers, gonna talk spoilers. Spoilers, spoilers, gonna talk spoilers. Time to talk for three more hours. (laughs) Time to have Sarah sing the song that she did not know that she was doing. Okay, let's um, let's go storyline by storyline again. So, Walt says the button is bad. Don't press the button. Wow, wow that button is bad. The button is bad. But also, it's bad when you don't press the button. But when you don't press the button, Henry and Cusick's 
clothes blow off. So like, mm. don't press the button. I think Walt but, had the right instinct there. Well, <laughs> and also, see now, and now knowing that, so now I'm immediately projecting ahead to what happens with Michael mm. and the computer. Like, right. like, like Walt, like, it, it does turn out that it is actually very bad that Michael, when Michael gets involved with the computer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very. You know? Maybe his warning just went to the wrong person. Yeah. Or, oh, or, snap. Yeah, or maybe, like, yeah, like, that. well, that's a good question. Like, like what, I mean, and again, the question of, like, how, like, how the, how the visions manifest, who gets to see what, you know, like, Sawyer also sees the horse with Kate, but, yes. like, all, like, who, you know, who sees what things and, and how those things all work is a little bit, I think, sometimes confusing. But in this particular one, it's like, okay, if we're assuming that, like, that the, the vision has a degree of agency, what, like, what was Shannon supposed to do with that information, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and Walt does speak backwards one other time. He says they're coming in there close in abandoned to Shannon again. So he just always does. Walt think any of these things are helpful? Does she think <laughs> that, like does he think that Shannon can speak backwards English all of a sudden? Well, that's my question. <laughs> is this Walt or what is this? Is this because like it's the man in black, right? Well, it can't be the man in black. Well, I guess it could be, but he, you know, Walt isn't dead. So but I think, like, my favorite thing about this is, like, if it's the man in black, he spoke backwards just to mess with them. Yeah, he literally well, was like, what, Walt, what so are they going to do is, now? So this is my question about, uh, like, about in terms of, like, the metaphysics of, like, like, of how the visions work. Because, yeah, so my understanding was, like, like, some of the time slash most of the time, except for Walt, like, if a vision appears and it's of a person who is dead, then, like... That's the man in black trying to get you to do something, right? Yes. Yeah. And like also follow him or go somewhere. But Walt Walt travels through space time to multiple characters and is alive the entire time. Well, but we That's also true. do know that Walt's kind of a freaky kid. So if he has like Yeah, like Walt Walt is a tiny bit magic. Yeah, maybe it is actually Walt because he does in I believe season uh, the end of season 3, Locke is like lying in the pit right. of dead people and Walt's yep. just like, "Hey, yeah. you got more work to do. Let's go." So I wonder if right. it is Walt. And and is Walt aware that this is happening? Is he aware that these visions are coming to people? I don't know. Yeah. I think that it might suggest that Walt is omniscient. Do you think yeah. that like and this is him coming in through his dreams like i wonder if like i wish we had more walt no. so that we could know that like I when walt is asleep he like comes to people and he thinks they're just dreams like in my brain like the way i rationalize it just because like we don't have any evidence of the contrary because they weren't really interested in like trying to tell walt's story is that he's projecting himself back from the future oh see what i did there <laughs> and to try and help people but it doesn't quite go right because he's not 100 trained but like i think right. this is like future walt trying to warn people and sort of change the path that they're on yeah hmm. i and I, and it seems like that's like it seems like when the and i god i wish maybe robin maybe has more of this information in her head but like like i, I wish i had like a list of like every apparition and hallucination so we could figure out is it all either the man in black. I got you. And Walt is like the only outlier or are there other times where a hallucination that behave because like the man in black ones, those are the ones where like other people can see them. Yes. So because it's yeah. not it's not like you're having a vision. It's like he takes on that. He's form. there. Yeah. Yeah. He like assumes the form. He's like a corporeal being of Christian or the horse or whatever. And um, and the Walt ones, 
it's hard to gauge because it happens to both of them when they're alone. So, so we don't know if Saeed had come earlier, if he would have seen them, but like, you know, and then Locke is by himself when he sees it too. So yeah. So like, so what I want to know is first of all, are there other situations where there is a, a hallucination or apparition that behaves differently besides Walt? So I have um, the list of dreams and visions right in front of me here. Okay. In season one, Jaxie's Christian. Claire has a dream about looking for her baby, seeing Locke in the dream. That's doesn't really. That's just kind oh, of a. Okay. That's just kind of a premonition type of yeah. symbolism thing. Boone has visions of Shannon being killed by the monster. That was just a weird pace because Locke drugged him. Locke has a dream in which he sees the Nigerian. Play. Yeah, that was a dream as well from the island. Season two. Shannon has three ver- visions of Walt. While searching for Vincent, during this vision, Walt says backwards, don't push the button, the button is bad. In her tent, during this vision, Walt says backwards, they're coming and they're close. While searching for Walt with Saeed, Saeed also sees him in this instance. Okay. So, like, is Walt, like, low-key, like, later seasons Wesley Crusher, where, like, he just became something else? Like, a higher plane of existence or something? And we're looking for visions, right? Not dreams. Claire knows what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Yeah, so, I, yeah, I think I'm less interested in, in like a dream that's just a dream yeah. and and more the ones where, because that's something that, that that flagged me like when I was watching the show where I was like, oh, sometimes you're hallucinating something and somebody else sees it. Mm-hmm. So that's its own separate thing than, than somebody having a dream. Exactly. Yes. Okay. So other visions, Kate and Sawyer see the horse. Mm-hmm. Um, Echo sees flashes from his past when confronting the monster, but I think that's also just like, a vision thing just in it's his just head. Black. Charlie has two dreams. Hurley has visions of Dave, but as far as we know, nobody else sees Dave. Um, dream, dream. But they see the shoes, right? Doesn't somebody else see the shoes? Oh, yeah. He's like, am I holding a flip-flop or something like that? And they say yes. Oh. So that's interesting. Locke has a vision quest in which he is guided by Boone and instructed to save Echo. Desmond has a series of flashes, but that's just premonitions. Echo has a confrontation with what he thinks is Yemi, but I don't think that anybody else sees him. Does anybody else ever see Yemi? I don't even remember who Yemi is. Echo's brother. Thanks, guys. I feel like somebody somebody else sees Yemi, but now now I'm doubting that. Yeah. A young Ben sees his dead mother on the island. Locke receives instructions from what appears to be a vision of Walt telling me he has work to do. Hurley has several visions of Charlie, um, once in a convenience store, the LAPD interrogation room, and outdoors at the mental institution. On the island, he also sees Jacob's cabin. Michael has two separate visions of Libby. Both of these appearances are connected to his guilt over killing her. Off-island, Jack sees visions of his father. Claire seems to be able to talk to Christian, but it but I'm pretty sure that's the man in black. Locke has a dream. Kate has a dream. Michael sees Christian, who tells him that he can go now. Oh, I remember that. But I think that's the man in black as well. Yeah. Hurley has a vision. I don't remember any of this. Hurley has a vision of Anna Lucia where she tells him he has work to do as well. That's off island though. Walt says he has a dream of Locke being on the island in a suit surrounded by people who want to kill him. A dead Jacob appears to Hurley and tells him to go to the temple. The man in black and Sawyer see a young Jacob in the jungle. Right, right, right. So loophole Locke and Sawyer both see young Jacob. Okay. Hmm. Which we know isn't the man in black. And also Jacob is dead at that point. So like, I still don't really understand that one. Yeah, some of this I feel like there's a possibility that they didn't have the rules of this mapped out initially and they kind of reverse engineered them as they went along. Yeah. Yep. And then the last two is Richard Alpert sees Isabella and Michael appears to Hurley to talk to him about being being the whispers and such. Oof, that's a lot of visions. Mm -hmm. Fam. Hmm. Yeah. That's a lot of visions that (laughs) I have completely (laughs) forgotten about. Okay, yeah, I think they just don't understand the rules at this point. Kate talks about 
like, Jack, if you weren't here, and this is interesting because we kind of talked to Joe when we were doing the um, finale about how Anna Lucia is like, oh, do you want to switch? I hate, like, at the, we, I hate being at the back of the plane. And we thought, what if Anna Lucia and Jack switched? And we thought, you know, everything would be bad and things would not be as good. And so, like, if Jack weren't there, like, what would happen? That's a, well, I think, I think there's, there's two questions. I think there's a question of what would happen if Jack wasn't there. And there's a question of what would happen if Jack wasn't there and Anna Lucia was. And I think, right. I think the answer to that second question is essentially that like exactly what happened in the tail section would have happened in the front section, you know, like Saeed probably would have been the echo. Like she would have sort of built the same kind of, I think dynamic as a leader that she did with those people. Um, right. I think if, if neither of them had been there, I would like to believe that Saeed would have taken charge. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. So, okay, we kind of talked about the quarantine door, but that's just because like Desmond had this whole thing with Kelvin about how it was supposed to be like poison air and Kelvin was like secretly going outside. Yeah, it's the whole psychological mind of them trapping everybody in these like in the stations that are just like elaborate psychological tests. Yeah. So it's to scare him into thinking he can't ever leave. Yeah. So at the beginning of the episode, like, you know, the injection is for, like, even though at this point, Desmond, you know, it's been a month since he killed Kelvin and crashed the plane, but he's, like, still taking these injections for some reason. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, I think there's... They're mm -hmm. placebos. Yeah, I think there's something... I I think the, the jump between, like, the... I think the key to the transition between flashback Desmond and the Desmond that we meet, I think, is is the emotional and psychological toll that all of this, like the, the, yeah, the injections, the lack of sleep, you know, all those things have taken on him over the course of all of this time and have turned him into this completely unstable, paranoid, unhinged person. And I think it, I think it makes sense why he couldn't like, like, even though he, even though he knows, like, you know, he knows he can go outside. Like, he know like there's, there's things he knows now that he didn't know before, but he's still, he's still enough unsure about like, what happens if he breaks the rules and probably so f***ed up by the plane crashing? Like, I think I think he feels like he has to kind of keep doing all these things because he doesn't really know what else to do. Yeah, I don't think Desmond even knows that he crashed the plane until the season finale. Oh, that's right. That's right, right, yeah. But, um, yeah. but like, now I'm thinking about how, like, Kelvin was by him, like, Radzinski killed himself and then Kelvin had to do it by himself, which, like, is not how it's supposed to go because, right. like, you're supposed to do it in, in, um like shifts and so as soon as kelvin dies desmond now has to do it all by himself but now i'm thinking about kelvin and how kelvin wasn't going to just be like okay i have 108 minutes to get off the island and book it before desmond showed up as soon as desmond showed up he started being like now i will ditch desmond because i guess it's been so ingrained in his brain that like this button must continue to be pushed. Mm -hmm. So somebody has to do it. And I don't care as long as it's not me. Yep. And what other purpose could he possibly serve? Like Mm -hmm. he's stuck there. Mr. Clux got hit by a meteorite. (laughs) And that's (laughs) true. Rip Mr. Clux. Have a cluckety cluck cluck day. It happens in Trisha Tanaka is dead. Yeah. Have a cluckety cluck cluck day, Hugo. So yeah, yikes. Robin has a shirt that says that. Amazing. I sure do. Shout out to Scott. Thank you for giving that to me. You're the best, He's the Scott. best Scott. Uh, Locke takes off his shoes because he needs to tippy toe. Uh-huh. And key magnet. <laughs> tippy toe. 
show makes me laugh. <laughs> the 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 key goes and it's like kind of magnet magnety and you know this is a whole season five thing about the electromagnetic thing and the mm-hmm. incident and and it's a whole like crazy thing about how it's like was the hatch made to like because of the incident and like is the bomb that you're dropping is that the incident or like are you like you know it's a whole thing in season five yeah time travel is confusing yes yeah also in i believe orientation which is the third episode but it could potentially be next episode we know that kate is actually in the vents during this whole time Mm -hmm. yeah and if you listen oh yeah after the music is on if you listen real close you can hear her screaming jack from the vents oh yeah um and also like desmond like shoots up into that place and she's like yikes it like just misses her (laughs) and also yeah. Okay. So those are all my spoiler thoughts regarding the island. Does anybody want to say anything else about it before we move on to spo- to flashbacks? Um. No. Yeah. I think that's. I think that's all. I have some Desmond things, but they're probably more flashbacks. Okay. Stuff. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. So yeah, Adam Rutherford dies, and in Shannon's episode abandoned that ends up being a whole thing where like now shannon shannon's terrible stepmother slash boone's mom sabrina won't give her any of the money that she was left in his will and this is this not cinderella like he's like yeah no literally yeah 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 oh i miss my dad my evil stepmother is the worst yeah yeah Yeah. and she i mean yeah she's so she's so horrible she's so horrible Mm. shannon yeah sarah sarah's here and also christian so like sarah and christian end up having a thing where like christian's going Going to meetings and Sarah's talking to him and beginning of season three Jack is like why is my wife calling you why is my wife having an affair with my dad and he's like she's literally not but okay <laughs> that's not what's happening here and like then it turns out like you know in the hunting party which is like one of my least favorite Jack uh, flashbacks it goes like stranger in a strange land hunting party and then like the rest of them and then this one <laughs> um, but like that's the one where he's like oh I'm going to save your dad, beautiful lady. Oh, wait, never mind. I can't save your dad. Anyway, I'll kiss you even though I'm married. Yeah, that's... And then he's like, Ooh. that's a real not... Sorry, I kissed a lady. Good moment. Neat. <laughs> it's terrible. It's so bad. It's a bad moment. Yeah, okay. So we have this this scene with Kevin. So I kind of want to talk about Sarah and the men in her life. So first of all, she's going to marry Kevin, who is kind of garbagey. <laughs> yeah. And then she does marry Jack. You saw Kevin. Who's also pretty garbagey and <laughs> kind of garbagey yeah. then she ends Sorry, up jack. with this other dude who jack like just wants to know everything about but she's like no this is my life now and you know she ends up having a baby with this guy that i guess you know she probably loves and that's nice like finally she got a happy ending i'm happy for her yeah her life didn't suck yeah like it could be worse she could as much as it originally did she might like if she wasn't yeah healed she could be um, yeah exactly but, she's right okay so desmond's training for a race and we know that's like the reason why he ends up going to the island and libby's the one who gave him the boat and it's like a whole thing and the reason why he says brother is because he was a monk and seeing another life is a whole thing and this whole thing with penny that happens before it's great claire you have thoughts go okay so um so so the thing that i was trying to like talk around without giving too much of it away is like part of the reason that i buy desmond as a person who would immediately be like let me help you win a lady like i can tell that you're having lady problems like 
it, I feel like it all tracks with what we know of his relationship with Penny, like, mm-hmm. like his, how single-minded he is in, like, in pursuing her and continuing to try to, like, win her back, trying to, like, prove himself worthy of her. Like, he's so, he's such a romantic. And, you know, and I think that, that the, the way that he kind of engages with, um, with Jack in this moment, I think is so... Like, when, like once you know about Penny and you sort of know, you know, about their relationship and what a huge force in, you know, in his life she is, I think it, I think it makes total, complete logical sense that, that he would sort of I, graft that onto what he, like this random stranger that he, that he meets jogging, you know, um, yeah. like, like I, I assume yeah. that you too are a man whose entire life is shaped by the desire to win the heart of a good woman, right? Yes. Are, <laughs> are, are we all? Okay. Anyway, you know, but, like, let me help you do it. Like, yeah. Me with <laughs> big sure. um, so, so I like, um, and that's one of the things that I, that I really love about, you know, about Desmond is I think, I think it's really remarkable to have a character who's so, who's like, whose trajectory is so shaped by like such a sort of like overt emotional romanticism, you know, like sort of the, the, the desire to get back to the woman that he loves where the woman is also like a person and not an object, you know, like it's, like it's yeah. not in in a way that like isn't necessarily true, and I'm not gonna like I know that obviously they took her name from the Odyssey, but the difference is in the Odyssey is that Penelope is a really static character. Like she gets she doesn't get a ton of agency. Everything that she does that's kind of interesting is mostly reactive to men, mm-hmm. and you know, and so like Odysseus like you know sailing the world like Penelope is like a symbol of like the you know the home and the world that he's trying to get back to, like returning to Ithaca, and and meanwhile all Penelope gets to do with her day is like spin this increasingly complicated web of lies to like fend off suitors which isn't very interesting you know so what i like about desmond penny is that we get that same kind of like grand mythical like love as like love is a force that is literally stronger than time you know like like love is a thing that you hold on to that is that is your mathematical constant in like in the middle of a time travel (laughs) crisis you know like it's the it's the thing that is stronger than all the forces the universe has put together. And I think that having that in a story about a man that's that in touch with his own kind of emotions and, and heart, I think that's kind of extraordinary. Um, like to give that, that level of sort of emotional vulnerability to a male character and have a male character be kind of primarily romance driven. I really like, um, and I also like that it, the way that it sort of fits into these kind of mythical, you know, the sort of the Penelope archetype is that she also gets to be an extremely nuanced and complicated person. Mm-hmm. Like they don't always pass the Bechdel test, but they yeah. sure do let their dudes cry. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. And it's like, crap, I'll take it if I have to. And the, the women are amazing. I just wish that they got to talk to each other more. Yeah, exactly. And like, yeah. Penny and Desmond is one of the like undisputed. I would say that the two ships on Lost that are like undisputed. If you don't ship it, I'm judging you. <laughs> Desmond and Penny and Bernard and Rose. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, you can yeah. have some side ships if you want. For me, it's Desmond and Charlie for some reason. But like, I'm Desmond and Saeed, so <laughs> yeah. I feel you. Okay, yeah, <laughs> sure. <laughs> they got up to something on that ship. Penny and literally any of the other women. Just pick one. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. But Good. yeah, they're just incredible. Good. Yeah, yeah, and I and I love that. And this is like what we were like what we were talking about, you know, 14 hours ago about about Westworld. <laughs> like, like, th- like Desmond and Penny is a perfect example of the thing 
and, and, you know, with a constant too, like the thing that makes Desmond's storyline so special is both that, you know, like the, like you get that sort of like crazy kind of like time travel, you know, mystery and it, and, and he's at the vortex of so many of the different storylines, like, you know, with, with the others and with the Dharma initiative and, you know, and with the whatever crazy electromagnetic is happening on the Island, like he's tied into so much of the, like the big crazy mythology stuff, but also the arc is so like at its, at its core, it's about how much he loves this woman, you know? And that's the difference between, you know, having like a time travel, storyline or uh what is this elaborate psychological experiment that this man is part of storyline like like if you separate out penny from that i'm in instantly i'm like a hundred percent less interested in anything Mm. happening with that plot that's and it's like so few tv romances are written to be like that impactful to the overall plot that ties into the mythology and the fact that this one is and the fact that they're both such Mm non-toxic characters makes it a little revolutionary. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and just that like, that it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's iconic. Like before I, before I knew hardly anything at all about loss coming into it, like this was like, this was the OTP that I mm-hmm. knew, you know, like this was like, you know, yeah. not just because it, not just because of Ian, you know, just that, like, because there's so much crossover, obviously of like Kane and Abby shippers with Desmond and Penny shippers for like all kinds of obvious reasons, but just because it's like, this yeah. is like, even, even for people who don't like, like show, like, people who don't necessarily identify primarily as like mm-hmm. a shipper as like shipping is like their, their main way of engaging with the story. Like still it's like, this is a relationship and, and him as a character are like, you know, in everybody's like topless. And I think that's, I think that's amazing, you know? And I mean, the constant is considered yes. one of the best television episodes yes, ever yeah. made, like unequivocally, not even like as conjecture. It literally is. It hits every single one of yeah. critic lists. Is yeah. I mean, like I like if I if I see a list of best ever episodes of television that doesn't have that on it, I side out that list immediately. I'm just like, mm, really? <laughs> yep. I always look for Battlestar Galactica's 33, and I look for the constant. Mm. And if they're not on there, I'm like, this isn't a reliable list. Yeah. Like this list is stupid. Yeah. Um, no, but it really is, and I and I think that it. Um, I think it goes to show how much there is to Desmond as a character that like, you know, like, so he's, so he's introduced in this episode and we get a little bit more of him in the next episode, maybe yep. two. And then he's yep. gone like the rest of the season, which I remember being extremely bitter at Robin about because I felt like I had been misled. I, I felt like I had been given to understand that like, once you see Ian, then you get Ian forever. Unless. And I was like, well, that's stupid. But, uh, you know, so, so like he, he's never at a like Jack Kate level of, of ubiquitous continual presence, you know, but, but every episode he's in and every storyline that he's in, he's wonderful. And, and he brings out new, the way he gets integrated with the rest of the Island group brings out so many new shades in all of them, mm-hmm. Charlie and Claire in particular. But yeah, I just, I think he's just like, I think he's just a, a really extraordinary television character. And, and it is absolutely evident on every level why both he and that relationship are as popular as they are. And this introduction is like absolutely worthy of him. And I have to say like the scene before this one in Desmond's perspective is like one of my favorite scenes of the, of season two. Oh, because yeah. he, he has that moment where, where she says, what are you running from? And he says, I have to get my honor back. And that's what I'm running to. And that 
is like one of my favorite lines in the whole show. It's so good. Like I, I it always like <laughs> every time there's like those iconic lines, I always like start almost start like tearing up because I'm always just like that's my show. Like that's like this is it. Yeah. Ugh, so good. So good. Um, you got any more? I don't think so. Okay. We covered a lot of ground. Yeah, <laughs> we sure freaking did. <laughs> Ground covered. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it totally was. Claire, thank you so much for coming on the pod. Yay! Thanks, Thanks for having Claire. me. This is so much fun. Um, you um, should like come back. <laughs> oh, I, I totally want to. I think I'm I'm back for another Desmond episode, right? Yeah, you sure are. Flashes before your eyes in season three. Nice. Which is which and is then... in my top three of episodes for the entire show, and then I'm back for season something yeah. in season six, right? The one I wanted I couldn't get, but I picked the one before it or after it. I forget which one. Did you want the constant? No. Well, I I no. knew that was off limits. I I assumed <laughs> that Sam would get that one. Yeah, I was gonna say Sam sniped that from you. I was about to say. Yeah, the only other one I have for you is what they died for. Yes, yes, that's the one which that is I want. Second last. Yes. That yeah, that one's yeah. really good. Yes. But, I mean, feel free to pick a season four or season five. Oh, okay. Oh, cool. Okay. Okay. Um, do you want to give us your social medias one more time? Yes. Um, follow me on Twitter at, at Kane and Griffin for fandom screaming at Claire Willett for writing and politics screaming. You can buy my book, The Rewind Files, on Amazon. Yes. Oh, my God. Buy her book. It's so, it's so good. good. I cried. Aw, thanks, God. And I'm working on a second and a third one now, which is why I'm currently in California. And listen to Metastation, which is on SoundCloud and at Metastation100 on the Twits. Yeah, yeah. like if you're tired of our idiocy... Move over to some smart, smart people, you know. Yeah. <laughs> pod squad. Well, love, hashtag pod squad. I love what you tweeted recently, Claire. It's just like we both podcast about literally the same episode of The 100, but like we still find different things to talk about. Yeah, I love that. I think yeah. it's so, I think it's incredible. And like, and you know, and, and we're friends with people who review the show and like, like, Eight super smart people can all like watch the same episode of the hundred and everyone picks out a different thing out of it. And part of that is because like the show does that. But I also just think that like we all have really different brains and different like experiences in television. And I just think that's like super cool. Yeah. You can follow me personally at Robin E. Jeffrey. That's R O B Y N E J E F F R Y pretty, pretty much everywhere. <laughs> you can cut me out of that, but so it, it's a it's a song in my head. I will say it out loud randomly. <laughs> Cute. Well, that's my thing is it's just like no one will ever forget how to spell my name. I will never forget. Because now it's a song. It's branded (laughs) in my brain. It's not E-R-Y. I'll kill you if you write E-R-Y. Well, don't do that, okay? Yeah. All right. R-E-Y. You can follow me on Twitter at Britannia, which is B-R-I-T-T-A-N-I-A with an underscore at the end. And you can follow at The Aficionados on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, Instagram, YouTube. Um, yep. (laughs) (laughs) good one bud and our patreon (laughs) i hate you and our patreon is patreon.com slash the aficionados if you have a spend dollar we would really appreciate it because hosting three podcasts is surprisingly expensive it's expensive please help (laughs) okay love you bye Bye. okay love you bye love you bye i'm gonna fix you